Hello, darling queerlings. This is your friend, Princess Jenny, here with a brief intro before this banger of a season four finale episode. The episode is quite long, so I will try to keep this intro short. Number one, we will be taking a brief hiatus between seasons four and five. So we will be releasing info via social media about when season five will be launching. So keep your eyes on our social media for that. Uh, number two, our very own Force Captain Meth will be taking over as technical producer and editor for season five. Meth has been taking classes and gaining skills. So watch out for gobstopping, unbelievable technical quality in season five. You are going to love it. Or perhaps you won't even notice, because as we all know, the best technical quality is when you don't even notice anything. So that's all very exciting. We will be having our usual post-season bonus race talk episode this time around. But instead of a general race talk episode, this will be focused on Israel and Palestine. Um, it's of particular significance right now and to the world and to us personally. And there are a lot of parallels in this show that are worth examining. So we will have a new special guest on this topic. So you can look forward to that before the start of season five. And the last thing we have to tell you is, as you may know, we squirrel away 5% of our profits each month, which is not a lot. We don't make a lot. <laughs> um, we keep that aside for queer youth charity. Last year, at the end of the year, we donated our charity monies to the Ali Forney Center in New York, which is a wonderful homeless queer youth center. They do so many things. I don't even have time to tell you all the things they do. That was last year. This year, we donated our profits to Trans Santa, which is an awesome mutual aid program. It's all year round. So you can donate to either of these wonderful organizations. Trans Santa is a mutual aid organization that donates all kinds of stuff to trans youth who are in foster programs, unhoused, in the system, you know, that whole murky world. They write in, say what they need, Trans Santa provides. So you can donate directly to Trans Santa or you can buy the stuff and send it to the kids. So if you look up Trans Santa, you can donate to them. It's a wonderful organization, both of those. So that is all of our updates. Keep your eye on our socials for the announcement of when we will drop S5. And on with the show. Happy 2024, queerlings. Booyah! Hey folks, and welcome to Hey Adora, your queer she-her podcast. I'm Force Captain Meph, they them. And I'm Princess Jenny, she-her. And this is the final episode of season four. We have made it through four seasons. We have arrived! We have arrived at Destiny Part 2. Holy bajoli, this is a banger. I'm probably going to cry at some point. This is, this is like the definition of a banger. This is one of the best episodes of the entire series. Yes, it is. Bar none. So we're going to jump right into it because that's what they do in this episode. 
Destiny Part 2 was written by Catherine Nolfi and Laura Shrebney, directed by Kiki Manrique, storyboards by Diane Ha, Emily Hu, Angela Kim, Sharon Sun, and Sam Szymanski, and we just slam right into this episode. There is no build-up. We just go right in. I mean, in. the build-up was the entire first half of the episode. Sure. I mean, like, this was definitely, like, there's no, like, you know, to be content. You know, there's yeah, no... Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, you can't... You can't do a slow build in the second half of a two-parter. We just spent the whole first half of the episode doing the slow build, so we're yeah. already on the edge of the cliff. We are fucking there. So we are right in Bright Moon's throne room, and Adora just lays it all out. Yeah, so first of all, so we have Micah basically hanging off of Bo's shoulder. Like, he is about to collapse. They've just returned from Beast Island, like, and they've just barely made it. Yeah. And, and and Glimmer has just left and they've just missed each other. Uh-huh. So everyone is already like physically and emotionally like rocked. wrecked. Yes. And it's about to keep going. Like they It's that point where like your adrenaline crashes happened and it's like, here's a triple shot of espresso. Yep, can't Time stop. Time to reload, stop. you know. Yep. Yep. Can't stop, won't stop. And we get a little bit of info here that, you know, Micah, stay. Just you are thrashed. You got to stay. The Sorcerer's Guild is on their way to help protect Bright Moon um, mm -hmm. and then makes a promise that they were going to bring Glimmer home, essentially hell or high water. Yes. Um, then tells Bo, Bo, take, uh, you know, go with Swift Wind and Entrapta to the Fright Zone. To and find they, Glimmer. So they are on the Glimmer, you know. Yes. They are on Find Glimmer. They're on Glimmer Mission. And Adora is on Adora Mission. Which is to go to the Crystal Castle to prevent Light Hope from activating the heart of Etheria. She turns into fucking She-Ra, and then that's it. That's then the opening go. scene. It's very terse and brief. It's just like, we're done. Let's go into this. Boom. Credits, credits. I have no idea. No idea. Is winning going to happen? No fucking clue. No clue. Are you going to ask? I, I can't even ask. I'm not even going to, like, get to the point. But really? Because I actually prepared a response for once, even though I never normally do. <laughs> okay, then I will. Jenny, do you think we're going to win in the end? Well, Meth, in the words of our wise ancestors, mm -hmm. it is not our duty to complete the work, yet neither are we free to desist from it. Damn, so okay. regardless of the winning, we have to keep going. The work of justice cannot rest. That is an eternally true statement. Okay, Jenny's all deep with this shit. I'm like, I mean, if ever there was a time yeah, to have legit. a, you know, to, to, to stay faithful to your work, regardless of the odds. Absolutely. Absolutely. This is the time. Whereas me, I'm all like, go, let's go, motherfuckers. Destiny shit. I Jenny's mean, that's like a good way to keep your <laughs> hype up. But if your hype is failing you. Yeah. You have to remember that it's not just a question of how good do you feel about your odds. Yeah, it's true. Jenny and I are representing two sides of the same coin. Yes, yes, yes. This is yes. why in battle we are unstoppable. Absolutely. Also, there was one tiny bit of levity in that opening scene that I've never picked up on before, but I picked up on it Ooh. this time for some reason. The whole time the Dora is like super seriously giving Bo instructions and they're, the two of them are like, okay, man, okay, you know, mm -hmm. we're going to do it, you know, break, team. Um, behind them, Entrapta is just like continuously poking Swiftwind's wing with her hair. 
because she's I never still not convinced that. that he is real. And she's like, I'm low key going to take you apart and figure out how you work because I'm sciencing away back here with my bird horse specimen. Uh, I never noticed that. That's <laughs> fucking hilarious. She's just like, poke, poke, poke. I'm interested in you for purely technical reasons. I love the idea of bird horse specimen. That is so real. That's exactly what that is. Bird yeah. horse specimen. Yeah, and he's just kind of accepted at this point. Like, he has told her so many times to back off and like, I'm not a bird. And bah! and he's just like, okay, fine. She's going to keep poking me and I'm just going to live with it. Yeah, fair. Totally fair. So, you know, we have to have our moments of levity in this incredible intensity or we're all going to explode into like, you know, balls of adrenaline. Also true. <laughs> also true. Uh, I guess that's another side of the coin. But I guess that that's a you got to maintain. You got to maintain. You got to maintain. With this level of seriousness, you got to find a way to pace yourself. Yeah, you got to maintain. And a little bit of levity is probably part of that pacing. It is important to pace. You want to jump to the fright zone? Let's jump to the fright zone with our new BFFs, Glimmer and Scorpia. And we have a good, we have actually a little bit this of levity in this part This is another great bit of levity in and this initial moment. This is great. Um, I love this. So Scorpia, you know, assures us that she's great at sneaking around the place. She's all an super stealthy at sneaking around this place. Expert. And I and like that. She- to demonstrate what an expert yes. she is, she does that like classic cartoony tiptoe sneak walk yep. across the yep. closed doorway, like yep. kind of hunched over, like tiptoe, uh-huh. tiptoe, tiptoe, yep. tiptoe. Yep. Beep, 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 beep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> if you could have seen it, you would have seen that I took my two two fingers and went across the screen. Like, yes, to demonstrate. So, to yes, demonstrate yes. that. Of course, no. Of course, yes. Scorpia sucks at being stealthy. She's well, Scorpia. I mean, she does it well across the closed door. Sure. But then the door opens. And, and who is we- there? It's our powerhouse polycule. Our best horde buddies. We love them. And Lonnie's like, what are you doing? <laughs> yeah. It's just like, not only what are you doing here, but also just kind of like, what are you the doing? The whole tone like, of it. Like, what I have, yeah. my bullet for Lonnie is just dude. It is. It's totally dude. Like, yeah, because she's not like, how dare you? Blah, blah, blah. She's just like, right. just like, dude, come on. What right. are you right. doing? And, and then we have more of Scorpia, <laughs> you know, like um, improvising at her best because this is her best skill, right? Oh, totally. And Oh, uh, uh, hey, guys. Have you <laughs> met our newest recruit here? Glimax. Glimax Pinkerton. Great name, Scorpia. Good job, buddy. Oh, and Glimmer, you know, behind her, she has that same reaction that kind of reminds me of the way she was reacting to everything um, back when we first met Seahawk. It's just kind of like a full body facepalm. Yeah, it's just like everything happening is very crazy. She's just like, oh, this is so <laughs> dumb. Yeah, like, oh, God, this is who, you know what, fine. It's that. It's the, like, yeah, resi- yeah, it's the yeah. resignation of, like, I know these people are good people, but damn, they're dorks. Yeah, like, this is not going to fly. <laughs> yeah. She's and... just like, this is, if this is our salvation, we're going to die. Yeah, and I like the way that, that Lonnie responds to this. Which yes, is, I, we that... have a wonderful moment now with Lonnie and yeah. Scorpia. Where Scorpia, Lonnie says, we thought you got out. Yes. Um, and you know, that is telling, right? It's like, we didn't think oh, you, you left us or you escaped or you abandoned us, but like, right, right. you got out, you, 
you know, you. Yeah, the positionality of that statement is extremely mm-hmm. clear yes. in terms of who has the power, mm-hmm. who is under the thumb of the power. Right. And right. And then she says, if Catra sees you. Right. So this is very obvious that Lonnie is like, none of them have any power or, uh, you know. Right. Like any power anymore. Yeah. And it, it, even if they did, they wouldn't be enforcing it on Scorpia. Absolutely. Yeah. And and Scorpia, you know, responds was like, she she can't see, you know, like yeah. and Scorpia's response of she can't see me isn't doesn't come from the same place as Lonnie's. It's more right. like like I know I would not be able to live with myself as a friend. If right. Because of the me. rest of her statement. Right. I yeah. know how this looks, but I promise I'm here to help. Right. And so this is a really important statement to sort of focus on for a moment and pick apart um, in terms of something we've touched on before, in terms of the positionality of people within the Horde. So what's good for the Horde isn't actually good for the people within the Horde, including Katra. And who is one of the highest ranking force captains like those people within the horde are still disposable. And they all have come to be very clear on that point. In order for the horde to win, the people within the horde are still disposable and their well-being is not centered within the paradigm of the horde winning. And so Scorpia actually cares about the people, her friends who are making up the horde ranks those are the people who she cares about the horde does not care about its own actual people nope and so that's you know a a thing that carries over very much to real life when we talk about these you know military superpower paradigms yes yes absolutely and Lonnie even, you know, acknowledges that, like, we're done protecting Katra. We're done with this whole place. Like, Lonnie is done buying into this, you know, situation. Into the whole paradigm. Yes. This whole paradigm. Um, And Lonnie acknowledges that, you know, kind of what Scorpia said, you're one of us. Yes. Like, you are, you, you are concerned with personhood and also you're, you're, you're one of us. You're one yes. of our pals. Yes. Um, and cause at the end of the day, I feel like Lonnie's love language is being annoyed with her friends. Yeah, I think that's true. <laughs> like, she's like, she loves these people that she's with, but she's always just kind of like, Ugh, you guys like, kind of like how Glimmer was, but a little grouchier. Yes. Like, we all yes. have that friend yes. who's just kind of grouchy all of the time because at the end of the day it's like an expression of how they feel responsible for making sure everyone's okay yes absolutely and Lonnie absolutely is that person yes yes that's a very good insight so annoyance is her love language and she's very annoyed with Scorpia most of the time but yes she does love Scorpia in the same way as Kyle in the same way as Kyle and she adores both of them because she sees their hearts yes both of them are full they're all heart yes um and she understands their loyalty amen to that in turn she has loyalty to them amen to that and so when she says that she says you're one of us Scorpio we won't stand in your way Scorpia cries her happiest gay tears of queer solidarity and she hugs all three of them almost to death (laughs) there's a lot of Scorpia doing some really good hugs in this episode yeah and so I'm nominating that as a gayest moment I'll take it because those are queer solidarity tears of joy it definitely is a queer solidarity tear of joy and I'll take it yeah yeah, because there's absolutely. not a lot of gayest moments in this episode. No, there aren't. There are a couple though, and they're really good. yeah, 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 but, yeah. 
But yeah, I'll take it. I think that's a good one. Yeah. And so while this is happening, Glimmer's sort of standing to the side, like she's not sure if she should be ready to attack. She's maybe ready to attack. Mm -hmm. And then she's kind of backs off when she sees that that's not going to be necessary. Like her hands are starting to glow and then she sort of powers down. She's like, all right, these people are fine. Right, right, right. Which, you know, fair. Which is correct. Correct. Yes. Yeah, she's fought them before. Yeah. And then she tells them that they should probably get out of there, like for their own good. She's like, "Okay, you guys are cool. Shit's about to get crazy here. You should probably bounce. Yeah. Um, and Lonnie's like, yep, no shit. We're we're out of here. Take care of her. Yes, and, it's like she's passing like, off her ex-girlfriend to the new I girlfriend. Know, I, I know, it's wonderful. And I think this is the last time we actually hear the the powerhouse polycule. We see them briefly, I think, at the end of part two. But I we don't definitely think we, yeah, I don't remember. Um, if they pop up at all in season five yeah i don't think so i don't think because the horde isn't really a big player anymore in season five it's all about horde prime yeah the horde as we know it is destroyed at the end of this episode yeah we we get like we get like galactic horde after this yeah 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 and they (laughs) yeah i think you're right we don't want them (laughs) yeah 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 you're right i think this is the exit of the pow paw except for that last glance we see of them when they have a baby I know. And so this is our last time we can say it, but hey, Lonnie. Hey, Lonnie. We Farewell, love you. Farewell, precious Lonnie. We love we you love so, you. so much. We love you, Rogelio. We love your hair. Oh, yes, we do. Great hair. And Kyle, sweet Kyle, we love you too. Enjoy your beautiful lives together. Aw, we love all of you. Seriously. Yes. Yes. Farewell, friends. And so as they all part ways, Scorpia invokes all the chaos gods and Murphy's Law by saying it should be easy from here. Yep. I mean, seems like a slow day in the Fright Zone. Yeah, there is nothing more like nothing evokes that more than possibly what could possibly go wrong. Like, of course, Scorpia. Good, good, good job, buddy. So as soon as she says that, we switch to an exterior shot of the Fright Zone from a distance so we can see Hordak's giant laser <laughs> yeah. blast just like exploding. I'm mad. I'm going to explode everything. Yeah, bah, we bah, get bah, our bah. Yeah, we get our, our our ironic cut to what is not a slow day here yes. in the Fright Zone. Yes, the Hordak Catra, you know, fight of the century. Love this fight. So then we, yeah, so then we get that exterior shot and then we go zoom back into where they are. Yep. And it ends, that that transitional shot ends with a laser blast showing Katra flying full body across the room. Yeah, I mean, he got in a shot. Yeah, and she looks rough. Yeah, she does look rough. And she, she does, she caught, she got caught. I mean, she got, you know. Yeah, yeah. She was surprised. You know, she's been carrying this lie through several seasons and it finally got caught out. Yeah. And to the point where, like, she she didn't know. She was just like, what's going on? Yeah, yeah. He says he knows about Entrapta. She says Entrapta was a traitor. What else is there to know? Right. And and Hordak, you know, he's like half 12 year old girl at this point in terms of the way the level at which he's able to express his emotions. He says, I trusted you. Yeah. You know, he's so he's so butthurt. He's so I mean, I mean, fair. Yeah. Yeah. I'll give him that. 
It's fair. I'm not saying he doesn't have the right to feel how he feels. But then he but goes maybe into expressing his... it with laser blasts is not the most sure. productive way. And then he goes into his villain speech. Your days were numbered the moment you crossed me. I'm giving yes. him a fake British accent because no, villains no, no, always I mean, have that. Right? That is like, kind of how he talks. Yeah. Um, and, and so at this point, Catra is running for her life <laughs> yeah. through this, you know, through the station, like, you know, the different areas are kind of unclear because it all kind of looks the same. Right. Um, And and her movements are more cat-like as she is running for her life. It's, you know, more like she's running on all fours, even though she doesn't walk on all fours. Yeah, and I mean, she's doing, she's she's fighting the way Catra does. She's not going, she's not fighting, she's finding you know higher ground right, she's finding right, a place exactly. to get the upper hand and hordak is sort of walking around like you know a jason or you know yes. um, michael myers it's just like yeah. very calm he doesn't need to run he no. doesn't need to break a sweat he's just like i'm going to get you eventually yeah he's like a human tank and i love that idea because he does he is kind of like that michael myers he's literally walking with his weapon like straight out with his mask on right yeah like being like grung, 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 right yeah, like, yeah 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 um and so after he says that ridiculously like iconic ironic villain line you know your days were numbered the moment you crossed me blah 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 uh-huh. he ends by saying after i'm through with you you can't even begin to imagine the punishments yes. Horde Prime will inflict upon you. And of course, that's a perfect place for Katra to wiggle in and get under his skin. Uh-huh. And yeah. she says, oh, because he's going to swoop down and fix everything for you at any moment, right? Yeah. You're just lying to yourself now. Uh-huh. Yeah. And She's like, okay, this is how I know how to fight. Right, like- right. Because she knows... You know, that that's not going to happen. And Hordak is enraged by this goading. And he continues blasting apart all the rooms that they are in while they are in them. And we get a great view of this fight from various angles. And, you know, we can see that this whole place is not going to be standing for much longer. And I would really love to go uh, beat by beat on this fight if you don't Sure, sure, go ahead. That's, yeah, that's not my purview. Go right ahead. So this is my... this is possibly my favorite fight scene in the entire series. It is a great fight. Um, I love it. I, I, I think this is one of the more interesting um, parts of animation in the series. Uh, and so I'm just kind of going to kind of go through bit by bit. So first, sure. Catra keeps goading him. Why would Horde Prime care about you? Mm-hmm. You're a defect, a mistake, and keeps goading him. Um, and she's dropping some truth bombs here. But yeah. she's also projecting a little bit. But she's doing this from literal higher ground. Yes, yes. He's on this platform that's lower. He's looking up. She found like a higher platform. So she has a vantage point now. Um, And she's also kind of standing like a cat. Um, She's crouched. She has injured her arm. Mm -hmm. Um, She managed. uh, He's managed to like when he shot her, he got her in the right arm, which is her unguarded, uncorrupted arm. So Mm -hmm. let's go through the fight. Yeah, and favorites. before you before you go into the beat by beat, I just want to set the general scene. At this point, they have run into this like smelting factory part of the yeah, horde. So there's yeah. this like molten lava bubbling all around them. And so it's like if you fall off this little walkway, you're gonna fall into molten lava. It's very like in like a bunch of like it's kind of like nine- the end of Terminator 2. It's yeah. like a 90s sci-fi action movie. I was just gonna say that, like in a bunch of 90s movies, there would be like this like ultimate ending battle where the two like 
or like in Batman or something where like the two yeah, yeah. enemy, like the, you know, the protagonist, the antagonist would be fighting on like a platform where. Yeah, if, yeah. Or even Some like kind Star of Wars, right? battle landscape where the stakes right. are very high and yeah. that's part of the landscape. Right. One wrong move and you could fall yeah, to you your death. Yeah, you can't just right? be fighting in a normal place with normal right. ground because right. that would yeah. not be visually exciting. Right, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So, so that's part yeah. of the fight. Yeah, yeah. That's part of the fight. So thank you for bringing that up because that, that does raise the stakes of this as well um so that does kind of frame this as an ultimate battle yes not just like oh we're fighting but like, yeah this yeah. will be our final yes. battle yes and it yes actually reminds me now that you mentioned this in the original masters of the universe movie mm -hmm. so in the live action masters of the universe movie that came out in the 80s yeah, and i the don't one remember courtney, what it was the one with courtney cox the one with courtney I, cox i have only the <laughs> vaguest memory of it because i saw so, it when i was little but i haven't seen it since so i used to watch that movie all of the time as a kid i saw that movie like multiple times in the theater my brother and i both loved he-man so i've seen that and at the end of the film he-man and skeletor fight on a plank surrounded by this like fiery bubbly lava pit thing and he literally like Skeletor literally says this will be our final battle and nice. it's like been in my head ever since I was a kid that's awesome that's awesome so, like, you forget Mr. Powers we're surrounded by liquid hot magma yeah exactly it's like so it's that type of setting right? yeah yeah uh, all right so it's ultimate it's ultimate right so she's up in the top and he's on the plank of battle right because it's like this like yes, plank of yes. battle. so he looks up he shoots his laser blast up at her on higher ground yes she's on like a she's in like the rafters she's in like the rafters so she dodges his laser blast and jumps down off this rafter like yelling at him that she's yelling at him from grabs a loose cable then kind of slides down it like a like a fire pole Mm -hmm. like yes like, yes like a ghostbuster or a firefighter yeah 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 then from there swings herself from that launching it at him into mm -hmm. a direct punch to his jaw like pulls back when she's flying through the air and just punches him like in the jaw right across his face then immediately after that punch lands she goes into a heel kick like she lifts her leg up and goes into a heel kick smashing his laser blaster with mm -hmm. the sheer force of her kick yeah yeah it's awesome she then lands behind him and then she okay this is awesome and then she does a spinning jump like a jump spin back kick where it's like the coolest thing ever she like jumps up spins and then kicks him across the plank of evil fighting and it's fucking nasty like, it's awesome. And then and isn't that when she grabs? Oh, oh, we get there. Okay. And he lands on his face, just knocks him on, like, totally, like, prone, like, on his face. Mm -hmm. um, then she taunts him, because this is important. Right. Says, and then she can... delivers her final line. So we say, we can finally end this. I don't need Entrapta. I didn't need Entrapta. I didn't need Adora or Scorpia. And I don't need you. Yes. So and she up, screams it at him. So she screams it at him. And this is why that why it's important to hear that yes. before when she does this. Yes. So yes. she gets up, screams at him and lunges at him, lands on his torso with her whole body body mm -hmm. and rips out his first one crystal that is powering his super yes. duper fun suit that yes. Entrapta gave him. Yes. So that yes. crystal says the word loved. 
and it oh, powers is that what it suits. Yes. Oh my god. And the positioning of that crystal is over where someone's heart would be. So I she, disagree with that. I think that's at his throat, not at his heart. It's pretty close. It's like right. It's it's pretty close. I mean, she's literally. She says those things about how I don't but need I anybody. Guess, yeah, yeah. It says. Yeah. It says I mean, it says loved on it. That's yeah. So she's essentially jumping on his chest and ripping out his heart. Yeah. After after saying like neither one of us needs the people that we love. Right. You don't need the people that you love. I don't need the people that you love. I'm going to rip out this crystal that says loved on it that literally powers your body. Yeah. The first time your body has been augmented to a yeah, point where you yeah, can move. Yeah. yeah. Without pain. It, without pain. Yeah. Ripping it out and yeah. then leaving you. Yeah. And this is because with Entrapta's augmentation and that crystal was the first time he felt like a whole person. Yes. Wow. I never knew that that was what it said. And then the pipe falls on him. Yeah. <laughs> and he's That's like, on Whoa. him. He's the one who keeps destroying rooms that he's yeah. standing in. And then he's crushed city, or so we think. Yeah, yeah. But, um, and, you know, and it shows Catra's power, Catra's ability. Yes. Uh, and, and I just want to remind everybody that this is somewhat similar to how she defeated Shadow Weaver. Yes. You know, she ran away, found higher ground, and from above she pounced and was able to rip out this tiny thing that even though the placement was different... And what it technically is, is different. The size and shape is very similar. And it's this tiny little thing that gives you all your power. She yep. just rips it out. Yep. Yeah. Ooh, good parallel. Yeah. Yeah. So um, that's my, my my favorite fight scene. Whole, yeah, that was, you did a really good job breaking that down. Thank you. Yeah, I'm not good at describing fight scenes. I don't know how to talk about those moves. Thanks. But it is beautiful and very symbolically heavy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And that is the end of that scene. That is, that is the end that of that scene. That shit is done. That shit is done. Catra is done. That shit is done. Catra's like, okay, I knocked that one off. Like, you know. Yeah, and she just kind of stands. Like, the last thing we see is her standing over him, just kind of panting. Yeah, she's like taking her second to recollect. Like, yeah, yeah. This is what she can do. Yeah, That's all and she so can do right we now. don't, yeah. And so we leave that scene before we see anything. Like, what's going to happen next? We don't know. Like, Hordak is squished. Catra won the fight, and now we flip over to what remains of the Black Garnet Chamber. Yep. <laughs> I love that Scorpia comes in and was like, oh, I don't remember it looking like this, but it has been a while. Yeah, it's like it's totally <laughs> wrecked. The ceiling yeah. is blasted away, and she's just like, huh. Yeah. It's a little different. Maybe yeah. they remodeled. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's fair. Like you Rather go into- than like, oh, war zone chaos. Yeah, I know she's yeah. like, well, maybe they yeah. remodeled. Yeah. It's like, oh, yeah. that's fair. Yeah. Okay. It's yeah. a fair and observation to make. Yeah, though. it is. So she just walks right up to the, rather than, but like the way that she, you know, interprets things, she doesn't say like, wow, this place is destroyed. She's just like, oh, it looks a little different. Right, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> so she walks right up to the Black Garnet with her arms extended cordially, like she's greeting an old friend. And she says, hey there, Princess Scorpia. We're supposed to, like, connect. And it seems for a moment like she's waiting for the Black Garnet to give her some kind of answer, which, of course, it doesn't. Right. It, it is inert. Um, and then she comes so, so close to touching it with the tiniest little tip of her claw. Mm -hmm. And then at the very last second, she pulls away. Yeah. And with a heavy sigh, she says, I'm no princess. Not really. 
this part, it's a small part, but I just want to bring up a tiny point. Mm-hmm. Um, is that it really like it really affected me. Um, and it kind of was more of like a thought thing than actually like kicking off like a big smart talking point, which mm-hmm. is how do you connect with your ancestors when you have no ties to them? Yeah. Yeah. That's like something I'm is, sure a lot of people can relate to. Yeah. Like this is a literal like physical manifestation of colonialism, right? Like you're looking at something yes. that is like, it's like, you know, this is a physical object. And one could argue that this physical object itself is a symbolic of the, you know, taking all the magic and putting it in one place itself is colonialism. But like, yeah, you know, it's been like there are things on it that have are symbols of colonization. It has, you know, all of these ugly things that have been attached to it by the horde. Right. So it's like double colonized. But still, this is this is how she's trying to figure out how to connect her with her ancestors, where she has been disconnected from her ancestors multiple times over yes by forces long before she was born that she's had no control over yeah so yeah just kind of dropping that in there that like yeah this isn't an easy thing for our you know our fictional characters and also for a lot of people and yeah. this is also you know parallel with glimmer's glimmer's journey here too as we talked about in a couple of episodes as well as glimmer is trying to take back the power of her ancestors and this is mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. This is Scorpia trying to do it as well. Like Scorpia is more disconnected. Yeah. Yeah. And Glimmer supports her in a way that I think is positive, you know, rather than pressuring her. Like way back in the beginning, when we first met Glimmer and she was first getting to know Adora, she was constantly putting the wrong kind of pressure on Adora. Yes. You know, it was more about making promises on her behalf focusing on what she could do for them rather on the rather than focusing on their relationship. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. right now she is not doing that at all because she has come no. a long way rather than saying like, well, you have to do it or anything like that um, that would pressure Scorpia and make her feel worse. She just says, you're one of us and we believe in you. And that yeah. is literally all she says. Yeah, you're we're in this together. Yes, she's she's learned like the and she believes it. And that's the also the important thing is she be, she does believe it. Yes. Yes, that's also true. Um, and so that really gives Scorpia the confidence that she needs. So she does the thing. She does she, the thing. She puts her claws right on the black garnet. And, and it's not instantaneous. It's not like she touches it and like explodes with power. No, nope, um, It's like it, it sort of slowly revs up. This red energy begins to emanate from the rune stone. Mm-hmm. And then once the whole runestone is glowing, Scorpia and Glimmer start to glow too. Yeah. And, and Scorpia says, whoa, it's like, and Glimmer finishes the sentence and she says connection because they both feel it. Yeah. And then Scorpia has her own magical princess transformation moment. Yep. And she has cool new powers. Yes. Do you want to talk about this little moment that Scorpia has? Oh, I think you can do it. Okay. Yeah. So this is not, an extended gratuitous magical transformation moment like Shira has, but it is a powerful moment. Um, Red lightning is crackling out of the black garnet and then Scorpia lifts off the ground, Mm -hmm. um, you know, in this magical princess transformation moment as this power is just surging through her and out of her and red light engulfs her and, you know, red light is coming out of her eyes and she screams And, you know, this power is possessing her and it's a little scary. 
It is. Um, but I think that we are trusting that this is meant to be and it's not going to hurt her, that it's just mm-hmm. a, a powerful moment that she is experiencing coming into her power. Yeah. And her power is wicked cool. Her power is wicked cool. And so <laughs> then is. there's sort of a scene switch um, in this shot because the red lightning, you know, she's screaming, the red lightning is happening. And there's a scene switch to the Crystal Castle. And we see Light Hope putting the final rune stone into place in her mm-hmm. model. And over the course of this episode, I start to think that it's not actually just a model. It's like a control panel yeah. of the weapon. Yeah, I agree. So it's like she is like finishing. She's like, okay, last piece is in place. Now I can start, you know, it's it's a control panel. I can start revving up the weapon. All the pieces are in place. Um, And and Light Hope says in her scary monotone, planet balanced, full functionality restored. Yep. And like, yeah, Scorpia, this is sick. You have your connection, your powers, but also, oops. Yeah, but she doesn't know. She doesn't know. Nobody yeah. knows. Even Glimmer doesn't really know what's going to no. happen. She thinks she knows. She thinks she knows, but. And so a- as Light Hope has, you know, started juicing up the weapon, we zoom to an outside shot of the Crystal Castle and we see Shira running too late mm-hmm. to try to yep. reach Light Hope before this shit happens. And she is stopped in her tracks as the mm-hmm. power possesses her as well. And it's like, it, you know, she's frozen in this shaft of golden light as the power as the juice up kind of affects her and presumably is uh-huh. affecting everyone, which we're going to yep. see in a minute. Yep. And all she says is, oh, no. Yeah. And then we get this runestone montage, basically. Yeah. And every all the princesses are going to their avatar states and they are kicking all of these. Yes. Ass. And so They're- this is the part that Glimmer did imagine when yes. she was imagining what would happen if they could if they could get their hands on this magic. Right. Yeah. We see, you know, each of the princesses one by one getting their power boost. So first we see each of the runestones, you know, glowing up. We see Bright Moon, Plumeria, the Kingdom of Snow, Selenius, each of those runestones glowing up with extra, you know, extra power boost engaged. Mm -hmm. And so then we see each of the princesses. We see Mermista as she and Seahawk are battling the horde on the seas. We see her get a power boost and Seahawk being super into it. I know. I love him. He's such a good boyfriend. He is. We, you know, we couldn't love him more. And then we see Perfuma and Frosta who are fighting back to back in the Whispering Woods. We see them get their power boost and, you know, everyone's excited. It's great. And then we go back to the smoking ruins of the Fright Zone as this climactic music is sort of petering out. We're back in the Fright Zone. So that's this whole montage. And then we're back to the smelting plants or whatever we want to call that scene where we left Catra. <laughs> the smelting. I like that. The smelting plant, Catra's, Catra's smelting plant of, yes. uh, of, of power epic and battle. Emo- of yeah. epic battle, internal, external battle. So, uh, so now we have Catra and we have a taunting voice from off screen that calls out, hey, Catra. Damn, Jenny, Jenny, it's Adora. It's- oh my uh, God, how did Adora get there? I don't know. Ah. Okay, it's not a door, but this is like literally the last time I'm going to be able to do this for a while. So yeah, yeah, I'm just just excited. Also, Jenny, this is my this is actually one of this whole scene is one of my gayest moments. Um, Yeah, this this whole scene is very gay. Yeah, um, because literally everything that is happening here is gay. Catra's freak out, double trouble, just being like, oh, yeah, this is the definitely the X. And that's definitely going to be the way to get to her. Yeah. And double trouble just being like the mean queen. Like, yeah. this is like yeah. the first this is like the first part of a big chunk of gayest moment. Yeah, I am with you on that. So, so. Mef, why don't you 
take us through this scene. Woo! This one's a big one. Okay. It really so, is. This is like huge. This is a huge, huge, huge scene for Catra. I would argue that this is actually Catra's very first like siege scene for Catra's redemption. So Double Trouble comes in and says, hey, Catra. And we're like, what? First of all, Adora never says that. So yeah. We're all- and also we just left her at the Crystal Castle. How'd she get to the Fright Zone so fast? So like, we know it's not her. Okay. Right, right. So, but, uh, you know, obviously Catra doesn't know. And Catra right. just like kind of like loses it in this way where we haven't seen it in a while. Where she's Right, like, right. She's she- just totally raw, no mask. And she's like, no, no, like afraid. And yes. it's like, you can't take this from me. You can't come in and take this from me now. Like, right. because Katra has everything she wants, even though everything she wants still just fell apart. She's still the king of a kingdom of mess, but she's still the king. Yes. Right? Yes. Like, yes. You know. And then she's like, and you know, she has lost everything at this point to hold on to this one vision of what she's going to gain. Exactly. And Double Trouble as Adora was like, whoa, was like totally taken aback. Yeah, uh, she's like, I knew this was going to be effective, but I did not know it was going to be this effective. Um, and Basically. Is, yeah, and is performative about it, but definitely was like, ooh, and I knew this would get yes. a rise out of you, but you still, you're really obsessed, aren't you, kitten? And there's Kit- like- And the kitten is like the- the, the nose boop on the cake. Right, kitten. And like, you know, there's like, there's definitely a double entendre there about like the obsessed thing. It's like, yes, you're still obsessed with gaining this power and holding on to this power, but also like, it's your ex-girlfriend. Like, yes. it's pretty and obvious. You, like, and you are now as helpless as a kitten in yes. this situation, emotionally. Yes, absolutely. And we're like, oh my God, you're not Adora. You're actually double trouble because you said kitten. And right, uh, right. And like, as soon as they say kitten, they transform back into themselves. And then we see a double trouble and double trouble does their wonderful villain monologue. Their villainous mm-hmm. monologue. Mm-hmm. I don't, I'm always reluctant to call double trouble a villain and we're going to get yeah. to that very Anyone soon. Anyone can do a villainous monologue. Yeah. It doesn't make them a villain in a static categorical way, but this can be categorized as a villainous monologue. I feel like it can't be. And so we have Double Trouble saying that they finally figured out Catra's character and mm-hmm. then turns into Catra. Yes. And when your shadow self, which I learned about from Jenny, turns into Thank you. you. Saying you try so hard to play the big bad villain, but your heart's never been in it. Uh, I would freak the fuck out. Um, Yes. Catra is so completely disarmed in a way we have rarely seen. Yes. Like she has no veneer of control over herself, her tone, her interactions at this point. She's like stuttering. She's stuttering. She's like, what? Yeah. What are you like? Yeah. She she has no ability to filter her brain to her mouth at this point. She is just completely beside herself. And Catra always has something to say. Yeah. And she's just like, stop it. Stop it. Stop it. Yeah. She sounds like a child. Yes. You know, she's like, what? Like, like. Like, like, and her eyes is like, it's devastating to watch. It's devastating to her. It's devastating for me to watch it. I mean, it's devastating for for all of us. And then. And then Double Trouble turns into the different people, and I want to break each one of them down because yes. it's important what Double Trouble says as these people. Yes, yes, yes. Um, to Catra. Yes, and then also Catra's sort of flailing. She f- makes a flail yes. at DT, who is still 
presenting as Catra to be like, stop it, stop being me. And it's so easy for DT to grab Catra because Catra has no control at this point. DT grabs Catra by the wrist and starts mm-hmm. this new monologue of transformation. So take it from there. Right. So first, as Catra, mm-hmm. DT says people have hurt you, haven't they? And that's what we we know Catra. That's Catra's yes. internal yes. narrative. Is people have hurt Catra throughout Catra's life. And then DT turns into Shadow Weaver. Mm-hmm. They didn't believe in you because that was, you know, Shadow Weaver's main goal in Shadow Weaver's life was to not believe Catra. Right. Any, like believing right. Catra never, for anything. Yeah. Never give her any responsibility. Uh huh. You know, never have any faith in her. Never have any faith in her. Thinks that right. she was like, you know, never good enough, right? They right. Didn't believe right. in her. Hordak. Turn into Hordak. They didn't trust you. Hordak never trusted Catra to, you know, be able to do anything, be it like actually take command for something, to confide in Catra, to right. work with. He and never really treated her like a second in command. He never treated her like a second in command. He certainly did not treat her like an equal. No. Where God. I feel like it was, clo- you know, he, it was much closer that he treated, you know, Shadow Weaver like an equal or, you know, closer to yeah, closer, closer to. to. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then we go to Adora. Oh. And this is crushing. And <laughs> and then this is my gayest moment in the episode. Yeah. And Double Trouble says, didn't need you. Left you. And holding Catra's hand to her cheek as Adora. Holding Catra's While taking, saying this. Taking Catra's hand. Holding Catra's hand to her cheek and and looking at Catra with bedroom eyes, she didn't need you, left you. And I'm like, oh, fuck. Like, yeah. Holy and Catra shit. pulls away from that so hard that she falls so on her hard. ass. Yes. That she falls backwards on her ass. So now she's on the ground looking up. Uh-huh. Yeah. So she, double trouble. The rest of them, like, she was quaking. Yes. This one knocked her down. Yes. This is the one that knocked her down. And then... Double Trouble turns back into Double Trouble and says, but did you ever stop to think maybe they're not the problem? And then we get to a transformation into Scorpia. Mm-hmm. You're a bad friend. It's mm-hmm. you. You drive them away, Wildcat. In this very sort of like detached, observational kind of tone where it's like, I'm not even mad at you. I'm just telling you some hard truth. Yeah. Which is and similar. that is so devastating. Yeah, which is similar to the way that the way Scorpia said it to Catra was in a way that had more compassion because it was coming from a place of hurt from Scorpia, but right. it was still a truthful. Yes. It, so it's way. it's almost worse. It's 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 almost like that. I'm not mad. I'm just disappointed. Kind of thing. Right. Um. Because right. it is similar. It's somewhat similar to how the real Scorpia said you're a bad friend when the real Scorpio left yeah it's like she's not gonna yell and scream at you and say I hate you you know you suck but it's like the fact that this kind gentle soul Mm -hmm. is hurt enough to say something like that and she still loves you but she's just gonna say you're a bad friend you drive them away it's like there's something extra gutting about that right and I mean with double trouble everything is said with more of an edge colder because that's you know double trouble but there's yeah but she's still touching but she's still touching she as as scorpia as double troubles version of scorpia is still touching on the emotional truth of scorpia 
Yeah, that's exactly what I'm saying. Yes. I yeah. Agree. Yeah. Yep. Um, and then Catra responds with, what, 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 "Why are you doing this? Totally vulnerable." Yes. No, yes. Absolutely. None of the veneer of Catra. No, like bravado. Totally raw. Totally raw. Totally raw. Like sounding like a child that was yes. just punished. Yes. And like doesn't what? understand why. And doesn't understand why. And Double Trouble's response, which is going to go into my Professor Smart Brain moment slash observation. Yeah. Final the trouble, observation. The trouble of double, double Trouble. And so from here, Double Trouble says, it's for your own good, darling. We both know this was never what you really wanted. And then mm-hmm. this goes in. It is clear truth from somebody that does not live within any sort of boundary. Yeah. And this goes into my Professor Smart Brain moment. Double Trouble as the trickster. Mm-hmm. All okay. right. Let's All right. get into it. All right. I'm just going to adjust myself. Yeah, this is a big one. We oh, need to boy. be comfortable. Need to be comfortable. So the trickster archetype, one of my absolute favorites, um, one of my absolute favorites, favorite archetypes for storytelling, shows up all over the world. So the trickster's whole thing is in their name. The trickster uses cleverness and trickery to achieve their goals in particular stories and situations. They're boundary transgressors, and they transgress ideas such as morality, gender, mortality, physics, just general rules set in any universe. Right. If there is a rule set in this universe, you better believe a trickster will find a way to play with it, subvert it, mess with it, and disrupt it. Generally as a tool for survival, because it's like they don't have any other traditional survival tools at their disposal, often. Sometimes. That definitely depends on the type of storytelling where it's coming from. And that absolutely is with some. With some tricksters, with some trickster storytelling, um, with some people that are using the trickster, it does come from a place of survival. With some, it comes from other drives. Uh, But the most important thing to note here is that it does come from this place of a playful nature, whether it's like malevolent, mm, malevolent yes, or yes, benevolent. Yes. It comes from a place where the rules don't apply to them, so they are free to play with them. Yes. The system does not apply to them, and therefore they are free to play with this system. And by doing so, exposing flaws with it and breaking it down. And by yes. that, showing truths. Mm-hmm. So they're not just going in and being like, I'm going to destroy this. They're going in and, and poking at things. and Yes. And, uh, you Exposing know. things that are usually unseen by that yes. process. Absolutely. Um, and sometimes, yes, there is that is used as a survival tool within some sort of uh, diasporas and stuff. Um, yeah, I was thinking when I said that specifically, I was thinking about all the Anansi stories. I was told as a child, Anansi the spider. He's yep. just a spider. He doesn't have the strength and size of all the other animals. Yep. So what other survival tools does he have? Yep. I have a Nazi here as well as a couple of other ones that use that as well. So, but I'll get to that. Yes. Okay. So um, that's actually great. So I do have some more examples of tricksters, um, some trickster stories throughout history and throughout different cultures. Uh, Loki, the god of chaos. Right, of course. Uh, in Nordic mythology, is a literal shapeshifter who would turn into animals and people of all genders and even had the ability to get pregnant. Oh, as nice. A, as a horse. <laughs> I did not know that. Yes. 
did not do it for, you know, reasons of survival. They're just low-key. That's just what they do. Mm -hmm. Um, Coyote takes different trickster roles depending on who is telling the story, both malevolent and benevolent, among uh, multiple indigenous groups in California, the American Southwest, the Great Basin, and the Plateaus. Hyena is also used as a trickster as well Mm -hmm. in different sub-Saharan African stories so you know it's interesting um about the hyena because i remember learning in college you probably already know this that female hyenas their clits are so huge that a lot of pre-modern societies couldn't distinguish between the males and the females because the clits look the same as the penises so there's an aspect of the trickster in that it's like oh are they male or they're female you can't tell they're tricking you yeah, you know. I mean, there's also it's the it's a transgression of binary, right? Like right, the transgression of the binary, exactly. Right. Um. Yeah, and also hyenas have the laugh, you know, have the mm, laugh that that's sounds true. like that sounds like, like a person. Yes, um, yes, they they have a very human laugh, and as, coyotes do too. Exactly, and that is also why coyote, and also they're both, you know, they're both canine. They're both of the the canine species. Mm-hmm. I think it's species. I think that's the level that. Yeah, we're at. yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Um. Or genus? So, I don't know. Genus species. Well, I somebody don't know. that somebody that's better at biology, please yes, email yes. us at hydrocast.com. Everybody knows what we mean. They're both in the same family. Know. They're both yeah. in the canine family. Maybe they're that's both, the right word. They're both dogs. They're both wild dogs. Anyway, um, as you mentioned, uh, the Nancy stories or Aunt Nancy, as it is also referred to in um, some stories, and Br'er Rabbit both uh mm. african-american and different um diasporic yeah i uh, forgot Western, about Bear rabbit yeah um all come from west african traditions that have spread amongst the um west african african-american caribbean uh diaspora diaspora yep mm-hmm. um puck from a midsummer night's dream actually and, never read that one and bugs bunny yeah bugs bunny bugs bunny is a great example of what you just said because Bugs Bunny uses trickery to survive. And also a lot of gender fuckery with Bugs Bunny. Also a bunch of gender fuckery. So, how does this relate to Double Trouble, Jenny? Besides the gender fuckery. I bet that you can tell us. I'm going to. Quite deliciously. So, so, uh, besides the gender fuckery, which we love, uh, Double Trouble lives outside of the literal system of the Rebellion versus the Horde, which is a binary within the system of, of, of the Sheer and the Princess's power, and uses chaos to their own means. One of the things that we that ties the trickster archetype together is they're often driven by their own internal uh, motivations instead of external motivations. And they're using, you know, the powers of chaos, essentially, right? Right, they're right. injecting chaos into a system and that is driven by internal, you know, they're not saying like, yeah, sure, I'm going to take, I'm going to take some, some of what you're telling me and do it for the sake of this. And they're like, no, 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 I'm going to do what I'm going to do and do it. So that's what So we that do. I can survive and or, I can do the best I can for myself, right? Or I could do the best I can for myself or I can fuck with this person. Hmm. Right? Like, or I could just have so pure yeah. chaos. Just so chaos because that is fun. Right. Like, yeah. because chaos is fun. Like, yeah. Yeah. you know, tricksters aren't always, you know, super fun. Like, hey, they're a great fun character. Sometimes they're just like, I want to eat and murder your babies. Right. Like, so, Loki can be scary sometimes, Loki right? Loki can be scary. Like, sometimes you just want to, like, you know, pretend you're a, uh, you know, a crying child so you can have 
you know, people come out into the desert and then eat them. Like mm. you're driven by your own internal needs. Mm. Um, Double Trouble is driven by their own internal needs. And they use this fluidity, their own fluidity, their skewing of the binary of the rebellion and the horde mm. to travel back and forth between worlds. This is also something that a trickster can do in a lot of stories, not all, is to travel back and forth between worlds. In some traditions, a trickster is also a psychopomp, which we learned mm. about very, very, very early. Yes, I remember when you taught us about psychopomps, because it's such a um, cool word. Yeah, um, and their outsider status also gives them the ability to tell truth, like the fool, with little or no consequence. Yes. So, and as well as break apart a system to show people the truth, which is yes, yes, what Double Trouble has done here. Yes, because they are not invested in the system. Exactly, that is why they are not constrained by the consequences of the truth telling. Absolutely. Yep, and that is why we have Double Trouble as a trickster. That is my Professor Smart Brain moment. On that, we have a couple more lines, and then I, and then I literally have some more about yes. Double Trouble. The next part of it, which is why it's problematic, right? Yes. I would assume. Yes. Yes. Okay. That was amazing. Thank you. And that was my Professor Smart Brain moment on tricksters. I love trickster stories. They are some of my favorite. Um, I love cleverness. It's one of my highest held uh, values. And scrappiness, and the trickster is a great, scrappy, clever type of definitely uh, archetype. And yeah, and I love so, the importance of chaos in countering fascism. Yeah, I mean, I love chaos too. Yeah, and, yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying I want my life to be chaos, but I'm saying a world with no chaos would be terrible. Yeah, I have a lot of feelings about chaos, but yeah, amazing I love the trickster. And all right, so let's get those last few lines in the scene, and then we can get our delicious smart brain sandwich going in our yeah. next part of this. Yeah. And the so, smart brain sandwich, I'd love to yes. have a conversation with you about as well. Sure. Sure. So the first part of double troubles line that you just talked about in the trickster smart brain is it's for your own good, darling. We both know this was never what you really wanted. And the end of that line is, but it was also a good distraction. Right. And so then Double Trouble gets their big reveal. They show Catra their little Horde iPad with all the images of the Horde army being completely stomped by the rebellion as they continue. Mm -hmm. Your army was ambushed on their way to defenseless Bright Moon. Your face right now is almost better than applause because Catra's expression is just like beyond shocked. Yep. Because they 100,000% yep. did not see this coming. Yep. They yep. say, you know, it's almost better than applause. Almost. Almost. And Katra feels betrayed. And Katra. And she says it. She says, you she says betrayed it. me. And like, yeah. she cannot believe it. No. And like, I feel for this because Katra's like, you just bullshit a bullshitter. Yeah. How dare you be better at me at my game? Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, I, yeah, you know, yeah, I get yeah. that too. And yeah. also just like, and also all of the stuff that we just learned about. We've right. all known. But that, yes. Like yes. Double Trouble laid out. It's yeah. like, you have never been able to feel like you could trust anybody. And you literally thought you could trust me and you can't. Yeah. Yeah. So. And so now Double Trouble says, it's not personal, darling. You knew how this worked. The best way to survive is always choose the winning side. Yep. The rebels have some kind of ancient super weapon. Any minute now they're going to use it. And when they do, everything you've worked for will be destroyed. And then they have this complete tonal shift from seriousness to perkiness. 
Yeah. I'd really better be going before that happens. <laughs> and scene. And they give Catch a little nose boop when they say scene. Uh, the nose boop. It's so. It's gutting. Because there's this intimacy. Yes. Yes. Um, and then they walk out, leaving Catra sitting on the floor looking utterly devastated. And then my last bullet there is time to talk about the trouble with Double Trouble. That's great. And I would love to kind of start that conversation and then yes, we can kind of go into it. Um, so now I call this in my writing the meh side of things because yeah, it's meh. All right. Yeah. So I like, as mentioned, I'd mentioned before in great detail, I love trickster characters. Yes, love no them. question. And I love Double Trouble. And there are things that I love about Double Trouble. They actually had a non-binary, tra- a non-binary trans actor voice, a non-binary yeah. trans character. Yeah, that's wonderful. And, you know, we'd love to see our non-binary representation. Hell yes. But, ah. Uh, so I always felt that you using a non-binary, the only non-binary character in the show as this type of character is a lazy choice as a shapeshifter character, not the trickster archetype specifically, but a shapeshifter. I feel it's a lazy choice um, narratively. Yeah. I, I appreciate that there's representation, like I mentioned, but the choice of like, let's take this, I don't know, it's a shapeshifter anyway. Let's just not, let's just make them non-binary. It's just like, it felt like you could find another type of character and also have them non-binary. Like it just yeah. felt, it felt lazy. This part is a style issue and a casting issue on my part. It This does not feel like a personal slight or a social issue. Um, this is not where the kind of like social creddiness, like the social social creddiness comes in. So I'll get to that though. Mm-hmm. So like I said before, I love a trickster and tricksters throughout history are often explicitly, as I'd mentioned, shown to transgress gender and sex binaries. But also the trope of the duplicitous trans person spy that is a trap is really destructive. Yeah. And having this be the only explicit textual trans representation on this show is not good yeah i agree um now the showrunner since the show has aired the showrunner has nate stevenson has come out as trans yeah um and so i do doubt that this was done with any particular malicious intent like i said i think it was just of course not like i do think it was just like hey let's we we have a chance to have a non-binary actor and a non-binary character let's cast somebody non-binary let's have representation oh we can have it be a shapeshifter um i do think that there needed to be a lot more thought put into that yeah and recognize that maybe having more trans characters instead of having the one trans character be the spy that traps people yeah (laughs) yeah it's like yeah that's bad now in season five, one of the other characters, one of the star siblings, is also played by a trans character. Yes. But there's no explicit... You mean a, a trans actor? A trans actor, excuse me. Yeah. There's no explicit... There's nothing explicit that says that this this 
character um well it's funny trans. it's funny that you say that because there is one tiny thing but it's it's incredibly small um well, yes i know what you're talking about yeah yeah but i don't think it qualifies as substantial trans representation because way back in season one when we were learning all of the complexities of princess prom there was a mention to the star sisters right and now we have the star siblings and one right. of them is trans right but it's confusing because it's like these people are from a different planet so how could right. that be the same siblings? Right, exactly. And Adora also like knows about them, but when they're introduced, Adora's like, who are you people? Well, Instead of like, oh, I've well, heard of but you. She didn't, right. But yeah, yeah. So it doesn't make sense. It right. seems like it was intentional to be the same reference, but how could it be the same reference when these people are from a different planet, they've just been reintroduced to the wider universe and they were in right. their pocket universe before. So how could it be the same people? But it just seems like a very deliberate reference. Star sisters. Now they're the star siblings and one of them is trans. So it's confusing. Right. And regardless of even if it is the same siblings, it's a tiny blip compared it's a to tiny a, blip compared to a substantial recurring character. Right. And it doesn't have anything to do with this, the trans character being a villain. You can right. have complex queer characters. You can have complex trans characters. You can have villains that are queer. This is great. I love that. It's the fact that this trans the character- The only one. The only trans character is, plays into the trope of yeah. the, you know, the like duplicitous trans yeah. character. You yeah, know, who, yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, so- I agree, I agree. So that's my like, that's my beef now. I am able to hold multiple truths and- able to absolutely love and adore this show and recognize how important it is to have non-binary representation and love a love a trickster and also recognize that this is even what amongst queer people even amongst trans creators this is something that does need to be addressed i agree so that is my conversation and what you know, my thing that I've been saying, I've been dropping hints yeah. all season about what I want to talk about with Double Trouble, who yeah. I adore. I think the problem, again, is is the lack of robust representation. You know, the fact that this is the only one. And if you're just going to have one trans character, you know, why do they have to play into, you know, the most tired, cliched, overdone tropes and stereotypes that are negatively impacting the trans community right you know if if there were other trans characters then it wouldn't all be on this one to have all of those representation needs hung on them but you know yeah they do because they are the only one and it's very frustrating it's like okay why don't you just have a different character be trans if you want to have one trans character right and make your make your shape-shifting trickster not not be the one right right you know is... like it, it didn't have to be that way and i felt and i feel the same way that you do it doesn't make me not want to watch the show i still right. love the show and i still love the character of double trouble it's just troubling to have these social meanings laid onto this text mm -hmm. because they have real world consequences for yes, people exactly um it's the same way that i felt and I know I've mentioned this at least once about the new A League of Their Own show. Yes. You know, it's so great. Look at all of this wonderful, robust queer representation. But so, again, it's a Jewish creator. You're going to go to the effort of putting in a Jewish character and have them represent every negative Jewish stereotype 
that exists. It's like, and why have bother? them be a homophobe. Yeah, why bother? This is the only person on the team who is a legitimate threat because of the seriousness of what a homophobe she is. She's neurotic. She's a hypochondriac. Yeah. She has she has a humidifier in 1943. You know, like she's <laughs> afraid to eat canned food because of botulism. She is the most neurotic Jew imaginable. Yeah. She walks around saying, oh, my rabbi says this and I can't be around a man alone because of this and this and that. You know, she's uptight. She's, chap- she's everyone's chaperone. She's the most... She's the only one of them that, that isn't a robust, fully fleshed out character. She's a caricature. Yes. yes. She's the only one of them that is a caricature. And again, it's like the show was made by a Jewish creator. And it's like, what are you doing to us? Why? Why would yeah. you do that? Yeah. A Jewish creator that has that has created fantastic Jewish characters. Yes. In other, yes. other works. So it's like, why would you go out of your way to insert this representation and make it so negative. Yeah. And when you know that there's real world consequences, it's like, you know, there are a lot of Jewish actors out there, but there are very few Jewish roles and most of them are taken by non-Jewish actors. And this was a Jewish actor on A League of Their Own. And at the end of the day, I did think she was funny. She's she very was funny. funny yeah. But she's not, she's the only one of them that doesn't get to be a fully fleshed out human being. I mean, also like the fact that Abby Jacobson was like, I'm going to play a not Jew from the, from yeah, the, she, the Midwest. Yeah, she's I'm playing like, the Midwestern weird. farm girl. Yeah. I'm and like, I just didn't understand okay. what was the reasoning behind it. I don't know. And she never talked about it publicly as far as I know. Because she and wanted so, to kiss Darcy Carden, which who doesn't? No, no, I mean, she doesn't have to play a Jewish character. I don't care about that. I'm saying you went to the trouble <laughs> of creating a Jewish character and this is what you came up with. Yeah, I, I agree. You know, it, and it was, it's like, it was crazy. It, it was a weird choice. Yeah, it but was a weird so choice. with Nate Stevenson, I, I do have more sympathy because, again, like he had not come out as trans at all when he started making this show. So I feel like there's sub, there's some amount of subconscious play going on for an artist trying to work things out for themselves. And he came out as trans slowly over the course of the show and after. And, you know, first he was non-binary for a while and then, you know, he was using all pronouns and then he was using male pronouns. And, you know, he he went through a, a very robust transition over time. And I feel like his art was sort of caught up in that. So I have somewhat more understanding for that. Um, but at the end of the day, I'm not going to reject either one of these beautiful queer shows Right. because of one problematic aspect but it doesn't mean that we're not going to acknowledge that it's problematic no i mean at at the end of the day jenny and i are cultural critics this yes. is like yes this is like, what we do this is literally what we do this is what we have training for yes like as cultural critics and media critics and people with like media media critic eyes this is what our this is what our brains do Yes, yes, so, of course. And that's you know. why you love us. And that's why you love us. And that's why I love Jenny. <laughs> that's why I love you too, Meth. Hurrah. Um, go team. Go team. So that is my big spiel about Double Trouble and tricksters and non-binary representation. And, there and the is- solution is more of it. And the solution is more of it. There is great non-binary representation out there in the world. Um, I'm not going to list it because we've already spent a lot of time, but... It's out there. Go look for it. Yes. Huzzah. Huzzah. (laughs) Shall Um, we mosey over to our buddies, Goat Girl and Lizard Girl? Oh, my God. You mean other Kyle and Goat Girl? (laughs) They have clipboards now. 
they have clipboard which means they're in they're charge important. of something they are important now yes so oh my god they're this, inventorying some supplies i think they, or something they are and they just they are on they are on the wrong end of scorpia's newly found powers i'm telling indeed. you indeed indeed you know, red, red lightning cometh Red lightning cometh. Because what are you going to do? You just got new awesome lightning powers. You're going to be like, well, you're a bad guy. I guess I could just zap you. Because also, they haven't gotten their ass kicked by Scorpia enough. It's true. And like, she just got filled up with the lightning juice. It's like, she's got to eject it. Yeah, exactly. It almost seems like it wasn't on purpose. It's just like she had to point it somewhere. Yeah. You like, know, like she walks like, in. She walks in super epic. Like she's got the calm, like she's got the Michael Myers walk now. Yeah, she like, does. Like her, her eyes are still glowing. She's like Avatar Scorpia kind of. Yeah. You know, the, the lightning is emanating from everywhere around her. Yeah. Um. You know, and she zaps Lizard Girl so easily. Lizard Girl just flies fully across the room and hits the back wall comically like a splatted bug. It's hilarious. And, and. <laughs> yes. And, 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 and then what happens next is also hilarious. Yeah. And Go Girl's just like. Ugh! Yeah. But then like, also like the lightning fades and Scribbius herself again. And she starts laughing. She's like, wow, sorry. Boy, yeah. that chair has a kick, doesn't it? Yeah, that was really funny. <laughs> yeah. That was really funny. And Go Girl just nopes out of there. It's like, nope. Yeah, she like drops her wrench or whatever she was holding. And she does what you just said. Yep. She just, whoa, and she yeah. runs away. She just runs away screaming. Ah! Yep, just nope, 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 nope. Just nopes away. <sighs> but on her noping away, she also hits a button by the door that wakes up all the bots in the room. Well... I guess we'd have to figure out a way to take care. Oh, wait, I think we know a way to take out a whole bunch of bots. I think Scorpia does. I think it's a whole fuck ton of lightning. Yeah, I think she just needs one big zap. And I think that that works. And I think it's terrifying. It surely is terrifying. Um, which is definitely and Glimmer a thing. is also super into it. Yeah, she's like, whoa, because Glimmer, Glimmer is Scorpio's new number one fan. <laughs> Glimmer also loves massive displays of power. She sure does. She really does. Like she really appreciates a good massive display of power. Yeah, she's our stabby friend. She is our stabby friend, and is like, whoa. Yes. So, and I, I love this. I appreciate this. Yes, yes. So Glimmer tells Scorpia to help the other princesses and that she's going to go find Hordak and Katra. Mm, and she says the magic word for, for Scorpia. Yes, yes. And this is brings us back from that fun space to a more serious space. Yeah. Scorpia says in a fairly desperate tone, she says, Katra, I know she's done a lot of bad things, but... Don't hurt her. Yep. Yep. And very beseeching. Yeah, because after all this, she doesn't want Catra to be hurt. Yeah. Because she knows that Catra's already been hurt enough. Yeah, definitely. And she doesn't even know the amount of hurt Catra's been recently. Yeah. Yeah. Like, so she's just like, she, because she's there to help. That's what Scorpio's time was. Exactly. Exactly. That's what she told Lonnie, and she meant it. Yeah, so she's here to save these people. She's here to save them. And Glimmer reassures her that they're the good guys. Remember? Yeah, she says we're the good guys. And then we have last uh, bullet on that scene before we leave is my my note. 
good guys don't do mass murder. I'm no. just going to leave that out there. No, they really don't. That's kind of one of those things that we've been talking about a lot recently. Yes, yes. It's that's one way to know. Good guys don't do mass murder. Yes, yes. Um, so we're just going to leave that there and we're going to hop on over to the Crystal Castle. Yeah. So we're going to have a nice, another ironic cut. We've had a couple of ironic cuts here to good guys, you know, to people who are saying they're the good guys trying to do mass murder. Yes, preparing for mass murder. We're preparing for mass murder. So we cut to Light good guys Hope not being good guys. preparing her weapon. Uh-huh. And um, Adora shows up and is like, don't do this. And, and Light Hope's like, good, you're here. We can do this. Yeah. Yep. Like, yep. like, no, that's not the whole point here. Yeah, so Light Hope is ready, Freddy. Oh, yeah. Um, she says, good, you are here. Now we can begin. After a thousand years, my programming will be fulfilled. The heart of Etheria will be unleashed against the first one's enemies. Bad. Which is like, who? This is bad. Who, yeah. who are we talking about? I don't know. Maybe we'll learn. Yeah, and so Adora like tries to use logic, being like, there are no first ones anymore. Whatever war they were fighting, it's long over. Sound logic. It makes sense. Yes. And then we have, oh, this is creepy. The first ones will rise again. Ew. That's yeah. Right. You are a descendant of their mighty empire. Oh, my uh, God. Ah. Yes. It's like, uh. That is why... I used all my strength to reach across the entire universe to find you and bring you here. Boom. Truth bomb. And we're Ooh. like, fuck. Yes. Major mic drop. Whoa. Whoa. Yes. So this is like the exposition that is going to be like the major revelation for season five. Yeah. One of. One of the big ones, at least. Whoa. What? So wait, okay. So the first ones don't ex like the actual first ones. First ones don't exist. But the people that like, I mean, the people from the planet Eternia still exist on that planet somewhere because that's right. where Adora was born and she got sucked through this portal. Right, but they're not going and being first ones. They're not going and being. Conquerors. We really don't. We, don't we really don't know really anything know. about them. Whether yeah. they're still trying to be colonizing assholes yeah. or whether they're just chilling on their planet any we, we don't know we don't know and there's like they don't they have nothing to do with life on Etheria anymore they so really it's not don't. it's almost not important yeah and i find that i think that's actually kind of kind of like an interesting thing like this has nothing to do with the original the origin stories of he-man and she-ra either like they totally divorced this from yeah from yeah. he-man yeah yeah um, yeah they yeah they did they did so, um, but so this is a major revelation for Adora. Yeah. She says, you told me Hordak was the one who brought me through the portal. You told me he stole me, but it was you all along. All of this is because of you. Damn. And she slams, slams the sword into the ground. Yeah. And like, it, it is like in there. She doesn't just like hit it and it like, ding. it's like, yeah, no, in the ground. Yeah. I mean, like, she's strong. She's strong. I mean, she's yeah, like yeah. eight feet tall and very strong right now. Yes, yes. Um, and we have some more destiny talk. This is your intended function. You will bring the first ones to glory. It is what you were born to do. Yes. Ugh. Very creepy. And Adora refuses. Yep. Light Hope says the weapon has been activated and there's no stopping it now. This is and bad. 
Adora's face and body begin to light up with uh, the first one's glyphs, just like Mara did yep. when the heart was activated through her. Mm-hmm. And she screams. And my last bullet is dramatic tension with three exclamation points. Conk, conk, conk. Yeah. yeah. So this is getting really, really real. If things are real. Dot yeah. real. Do you know what the first one's writing that shows up on all of their bodies says when, you know, this is happening? I don't. I was just curious. If I anyone don't. knows, I would love to know. You know how to get in touch with us. I say yes. it like six times an episode. Yes, yes, yes. It's it's not super important. I was just curious. Yeah. If anyone on our pa- on our Patreon Discord knows either, you can let us know. Also. Yes, everyone knows how to reach us with information. Yes. So now we leave them freaking out in the Crystal Castle and we go over back to the Fright Zone where Glimmer poofs in to find a very defeated looking Catra and a squished Hordak in the ruins of the weird smelting. He's still squished. He's still squished. (laughs) They're in the ruins of the weird smelting plant. And there's no roof now. It's (laughs) No, because Hordak blasted it. Yeah. There's no roof. It's still squish. Yeah, and Catra is just sitting on the ground looking emotionally crushed. Well, she's suicidal at this point. Yeah. This point. Yeah, she's waiting for someone to come and kill her. Yeah, she's waiting to die. And this part, this part always destroys me. Yeah. Like this part is like where I just like, I have to like pause it and go and breathe, drink a glass of water. Yeah. It's like hold my little pressure point in my ear and be like everything's okay like yeah like this is like what do you do when everything you've ever cared about is gone yeah what do you do yeah when you i have mean utterly she and completely seems, lost yeah she seems numb at this point yeah yeah this is like like what do you do when you've lost everything you yeah. just all you can do is just kind of sit there yeah yeah she has no motivation for anything anymore i mean yeah, I get it. Like, yeah, she has nothing to fight anymore. And that's yeah. been her yeah. whole drive. Her entire life is fighting something. Yeah. And there's nothing there's nothing to fight anymore. Yeah. 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 So it's pretty gutting. Yeah. And and Glimmer pops in and reminds Glimmer's her of all this. juiced up. Yeah. She's got her staff pointed at her enemy. And she, she says, loves guess, fucking fighting Catra. Guess you wanted all my attention for yourself. Yeah. Your, your troops are gone. You're all alone. You've lost. Yeah. And, and she just fights. gets. Yeah. But she, and she's expecting to get some kind of big reaction. Yeah. And she gets no reaction. None. None. Catra's just sitting there looking down at, yeah. at her knees. Yep. Like, like all the life has just been drained out of her body. Mm hmm. And what does Catra say? She says, what are you waiting for? Do it. Yep. And then Glimmer kind of looks confused and she lowers her staff. Yep. And Catra says, looks like we're both alone, Sparkles. Mm-hmm. And that is, I mean, they've been inching towards it for quite a while, but this mm-hmm. is the beginning of them really being primed for their solo bonding yeah next season which is great by the way which is amazing i love them yeah i feel like they have a potential great bff relationship in the future where it's like they annoy the shit out of each other but they both love it absolutely i feel like they understand each other that's yeah yeah Yeah. and this is when the heart of etheria kicks on Uh uh-huh um while they're just sort of standing there looking at each other 
Glimmer is overtaken by the big scary magic. Yep. Um, and she drops her staff and screams just like mm-hmm. Adora did. Yeah. And now we have another runestone montage just like before, only now it's each of those powered up runestones being overtaken by the heart of Etheria. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. they each turn black and get covered in whatever the first one's writing is. We don't know what it says. Maybe someone does, but, you know, maybe it just says heart of Etheria powering on yeah. death and destruction imminent, whatever. You know, y- you are now owned by first ones, whatever it yeah. says. Or it could say like purple monkey dishwasher. We have no yeah. idea. Or it could say, you know, property of attorney at TM. Right. Cop- copyright, you know, because copyright. All, yeah. all war is part corporations. Absolutely. So who knows? Um, but, you know, scary stuff. Yeah, scary bad things. Um, and then we see these big ribbons of light Ugh. slash power sucking up from the planet into the sky. Again, this is just like what we saw in Hero when we saw the flashback to what happened in Mara's time. Mm-hmm. And each of the princesses, again, is overtaken one by one and they all fall in battle. Yeah. Um, and we see Scorpia. She's racing on a skiff towards Perfuma and Frosta. And she calls out, I'm coming, little buddy. And we all cry as she falls off her skiff and and she's crawling towards them. I know. This is like... It's... Yeah. And so then this montage ends with all of these like big swaths of rainbow light sort of being drawn together and uniting back at the tip of the crystal castle and being siphoned back into the crystal castle. The most threatening rainbows I've ever seen. Yeah. Yeah, if this isn't pink washing, I don't know what is. This is definitely pink washing, right? Yeah. <laughs> it's nuclear war, but it's still gay. Yeah, no, but it's this is exactly it though. It's like it's like yeah, the army now and you know, now includes trans people and you're like, yeah, yeah but you're still killing people. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, it's, it's still a nuclear bomb. It's still a nuclear bomb, but, but it's But look, a, we painted it rainbow. But look, we painted it rainbow. Like yeah, yeah. you know, the LGBTQ community can still murder people. Like Yeah, yeah. Ugh. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that's not good. Yeah. Um so now because of the way that a montage ended, it brought us right back to the Crystal Castle. Yep. And so now we're back inside there and we see that Shira is still struggling with the sword, which is stuck mm-hmm. in the ground as all of these like ribbons of power are swirling down into it and she is struggling to contain it. And she yells at Light Hope, it won't work. Mara hit us in Despondo so you couldn't hurt anyone else. Mm-hmm. And so this is back to the point where like being in Despondos won't stop the weapon from going off, but it will stop the weapon from affecting anyone else outside this little pocket dimension it would just right. if Etheria blows up that would suck but it's not going to hurt any other planets or stars in the greater universe right right and also um so we're getting all of this energy is coming in to the crystal castle and to to adora and Shira, and we have light hope when she hears the word mara she kind of briefly turns into love hope right yeah so we get this for the rest of this scene it's like um light hope is sort of switching back and forth between original light hope or love hope as you're calling her and the new evil light hope it's like she's got this split personality thing so i have a tiny little theory that might be sure nothing yeah. or something so this is the magic of Etheria, right? This is all of the magic from Etheria coming in channels to make this weapon happen. Yes. But I kind of want to like headcanon this and maybe theory it a little bit that 
this magic of Etheria, even though it's being filtered and channeled and all of this stuff, is still has love. Like, because we well, also learn through I the love end. That. Like the ends of the series is basically like Adora uses magic, which is love, yeah, right, to love save the wins. universe because love is magic, right? Yes, like we see that with like Hero that like. You know, yeah, Shira, I really like that. The Shira is the magic, and like when Raz stops the boar, she does it with like you know loving grandmother That's energy. Right. That's so right. Like, the magic of the planet is love. I love that. Yes. So this I love is, that interpretation. This so it's like what, that magic is sort of getting into Light Hope right now. Yes. Yes. So that's like even though it's being filtered in in and you know it's there we still have all of these filters and all of these stuff right, gaps right. and all of these like you know transistors and blah 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 there's still the magic itself and the raw magic itself still is love right and you can never fully contain magic as and raz is constantly fully, reminding us exactly and you can never fully contain love i fucking love that thank you yes i think that's a great interpretation i am totally on board with that yeah and that's why she keeps kind of sketching out with like right, she's, right. she remembers love yes yes and and this has never really happened to her before right and we see that she is capable of love which is like when a robot or a machine is capable of love it's also one of those things i think i've mentioned before always gets to me like oh, yes could yes be love. oh johnny five is alive like, oh, oh my gosh yes so, yes yes know. yes amen to that so light hope is is glitching she says Mara, like with love, but then she glitches back and she says Mara's interference caused a significant delay, but no longer. With the planet balanced, portal capability is restored. Initiate planetary move out of the dimension of Despondos. So now we are moving out of Despondos. And once this thing is engaged, the energy moving through Adora becomes even more supercharged and the light starts pouring out of her eyes and mouth Ugh, and she it's... screams and it's scary. Oh, it's really scary. It's really scary. Like it's intense. This is like an amount of magical energy that could kill her. Yeah. I mean, yes, it is like that's also like something that you know we see again at the end of season five where it's like the amount of magical energy only right she can take it and right, it could kill right, her, right right like, right so yeah. once this starts like you know um light hope has engaged the portal so then we transition to um the sky we see yep. swifty carrying bowen and trapta and he falls mm -hmm. out of the sky because he right. feels adora in distress yep and says it's too much right and yep. then they see the portal engulfing the planet and entrapta mm -hmm. is able to explain to them what's happening because she yep. understands yeah also it's so pretty it's beautiful like and it's, it's like, beautiful and terrible. It's one of those kind of things. Sure. But it's like totally different than like Catra's whirly swirly portal. It's like pretty and wavy. Yes. It's a planet sized portal. Yeah. Um, and so we see it briefly from space. It's like, you know, this big rainbow force field. Mm -hmm. And then poof, there are stars. There are stars. And it's it's beautiful. It's absolutely beautiful. And then we go back to the ground with Bone and Trapta. And we see them react. It's stars. Yeah. It's stars. We're not in Despondos. We're not in Kansas anymore, Toto. We're not in Kansas anymore. We also, are in the wider universe. Also, it's a planet with no light pollution. So you can see literally everything. Yeah. It's gorgeous. Yeah. 
And so they know, and especially because of Entrapta, they understand that they are now in the wider universe. Mm-hmm. And Bo really needs to find Glimmer. Yes. He yeah. is desperate now to find Glimmer. And then we go to Glimmer. And yes, we do. Who is, you know, Still also on the a ground, mess. being drained of her power. And realizes that Adora was right and Light mm-hmm. Hope used her. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And Catra was like, well, you wanted to win, so use your weapon. Yep. And Glimmer's Glimmer realizes that it will destroy everything. And then yes. Glimmer. And, and this Glimmer, isn't what she wants. She's like, no. I thought this is what I wanted, but this, this is not what I and, wanted. And Glimmer is Glimmer. And she says, I have to stop it. That's right. And she zoops up her staff and stumbles off to yep. do whatever she can to help. Because that's and, what you Glimmer know, does. She is, yeah, she's very willing to put aside her ego here. Like, oh, I was wrong. Okay, fine. Yep. Yep. Um, because I have to try to help. Yep, this is Glimmer growth. I mean, yes. this is like ultimate Glimmer yes. growth. Yes. I have to stop it. And that's Glimmer. Yes. You know? Yes. But she puts yes. aside her ego. She says, I was wrong. I have to stop it. Yes. Yes. Um, she's not wasting one second feeling sorry for herself. Nope. Um, so she stumbles back to the Black Garnet chamber and she tries to smash the Black Garnet with aggressive fist to runestone sparkles. It's not but happening. It's not happening. No. It's too late. And we have a lot of quick cuts here. I mean, we're cutting yes, back and yes, forth to yes. to the Crystal Castle where we, you know. So I just want to set the scene at this point because inside the Crystal yes, Castle no longer looks like an interior setting at all. No, it doesn't. Um, there's no sense of being inside a room because, you know, it's all computer generated. So Light Hope can make it look however she wants. Right. So they appear to just be floating in outer space surrounded by stars with this very basic computer generated platform that they're standing on. Mm-hmm. Um, and they have these big ribbons of the scary rainbow light surging down into the sword. Um, and there's the heart of Etheria like model control panel in front of light hope. So that's visually where we are when we're in the crystal castle at this point. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And light hope says the heart is primed and ready commencing activation. So everything we've seen so far has just been like the heart revving up. It hasn't even really been activated yet. Yeah, it's just everything is charged up. Everything's like that connected. was all pregame. Everything we've seen so far is just pregame. Yeah, it's fucking hell. Um, and behind her, Shira is still screaming. Like she's been screaming this whole time. And she finally manages to like pull herself out of it for a moment to go back to like having control of herself and talking to Light Hope. But Mm -hmm. she's like, you can see how much she is physically struggling to remain in control of her body. It's very vivid. But you can also see that Light Hope is now struggling to remain control of Light Hope. Yes. And jumps to Love Hope more more readily. Yes, yes. Like everyone, nobody is just like sitting and talking, being like, let me tell you something. Like everyone is struggling to remain in control of their bodies, Uh their physicality, their power, mm-hmm. their emotions, just like everything is just yeah. snowballing at this point. Yeah. Um, yep. And Adora says, look at all these stars, these worlds. They will all be destroyed. Mara sacrificed herself to stop this from happening. Yeah. And she still has, oh, and it's the energy is just every out of her mouth, out of her yeah, eyes. Yeah. Yeah. Like her, her eyelids are twitching. Yeah. It's, it's terrifying. And once again, Light Hope hears Mara's name and and recognizes Mara would not want me to. And then, you know, Love Hope says that. And then Light Hope clicks back in. Mara was a traitor. 
and mm-hmm. she turned love- against her people. And the more magic comes in, the more mm-hmm. we see Love Hope come back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And know. Adora says, Mara was your friend. She knew you were more than just a program, and so do I. You can stop this. And this is this is a pretty huge line mm-hmm. where Light Hope is actually at Love Hope now and says, I'm not as strong as Mara. I cannot change my programming. This, this is, is our, our destiny. destiny. Oh my God, Jenny, that's that's the name of the episode. And we said it at the same time. I know. We're, we're destiny twinsies. We're destiny twinsies. Destiny twinsies. Yes, and, uh, yes. And Adora says, it's not my destiny. And this is some major Buffy shit that's happening right now. Yes. It's like a Buffy conversation. Yes, yes it is. And, and Light Hope says, you will comply. And... Adora will not. And Adora and... screams, no, no, no. Like she is just rallying every atom of her willpower. Yep. And she grapples with the sword as it's like flying up out of her control. And, yep. the, and the magical power that's going into the sword is increasing. And she's screaming. At this mm-hmm. point, she's screaming like a primal scream. Yeah. Like this is this is coming from like the deepest chambers of her will yes. chakra. Like it is yes. just like... Yes. Uh, um, and I just want to, I just, I know we have a really heavy thing. I just want to jump really quick to the princesses, the cuts to the princesses. Yeah, yeah. Because important. I love, so we cut to Seahawk just holding Mermista. And it is so, so tender. Like yeah. she has, he's just like cradling her and just like looking at her. Like, you know, like two seconds before he was like brushing the hair out of her eyes. Like he is cradling her. Um, and Scorpia and Perfuma and Frosta, are, Scorpia has herself wrapped around Perfuma and Frosta, and they are just like huddling, snuggling together, like yeah. trying to brave the apocalypse together. Yeah, yeah, like they're not going to let each other die yeah. alone. And and Glimmer is doing the Glimmer thing. She is trying to. She's not going to let this happen. It is right. her responsibility to protect the people she loves, and she's just right. sitting there, you know. Fist to crystal sparkling, trying to destroy. And we can really appreciate how much willpower must be going into that. You know, like the other princesses are on the ground. Yeah. And Glimmer is still trying to fight. Well, Glimmer is pure will. Like we know this, you know, this is a huge part of Glimmer's personality and her character. She's will. Yeah. She's pure will. And when she when she's sets her brain to something, she she keeps going. She, She does it. Yeah, so but so even glimmer. she eventually falls to the ground too. Yeah, because this um, is—it's insurmountable. You know, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it, it is insurmountable. Um, and so then, after we see the montage of each of the princesses, it cuts to a close-up of the sword hilt that's mm-hmm. sucking up all of the power from each of these princesses. The clit jewel has turned black at this point, just like all the other rune stones, because it yes. is also like a mini rune stone. Because it's a rune stone, yeah, and it's like a reverse rainbow of the Battle of Bright Rune Gay Agenda. Yes. Uh, Yes. Where, where it's all the power is going out. This one, it's all coming in. And that's right. Being that's used right. As and a bad weapon. that's right. That's right. And so now we get a zoom out from that close up of the sword hill. It zooms out to like a full frame shot. Mm-hmm. We see the sword in Shira's hand and it's now held aloft against her will. Like we can tell she's struggling. She's trying to hold it down and it keeps flying up with all of these ribbons of color from every direction zooming into it. And Light Hope says, extremely ominously, it is time. 
which is like also one of the best villain things ever to say. Yeah. It's time. I feel yeah, like we've yeah. heard Hordak say that a bunch too. Like, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is time. It doesn't know? get much more ominous than that. It really doesn't. And Adora, again, like she's fighting so hard, like her eyelids are twitching. Like, yeah, she says, I won't be. This is like her most epic line. She uh-huh. says, I won't be controlled. I am not a piece of their machine. I am not a weapon. And I'm going to end this now. Yeah, that is also probably her. If we had a part of the show that was Buffiest moment. Yes. That is the that Buffiest, is the buffiest moment. moment. For sure. For sure. <laughs> that is the Buffiest moment. Yeah. And then Light Hope has her most emotional mm-hmm. moment. Yeah. Where she goes back and forth as she is like glitching out under the power of the magic. I love how you yeah. framed it between like do it and don't do it. She's like, don't do it. Don't yeah. do it. You know, it's really cool. Um, It's so beautiful. I don't know if I've ever watched this without crying. Yeah, it's. Um, cool. And so and while she's saying that, like, first we see her face and then it flashes to a flashback of Mara and Light Hope in the field of digital flowers, that memory. Yes. And then it lands finally on Light Hope saying, do it. Mm-hmm. And then Adora flips the sword and smashes it into the ground and it shatters. Yeah. And then the whole scene dissolves into blinding white light that extends for several beats of just silent blinding white light. So after that blinding white light resolves... Um, Adora comes to and there's a little bit of that like static in the air Mm -hmm. that shows us it's still like the digital light hope dream space Um, and she's been deshirred she's Adora again and her hair is down for the rest of this episode she has no ponytail Um, and I, I wonder what significance that is meant to have to me it sort of symbolizes that she's just been totally stripped she is her most naked self Mm-hmm. Yeah, um, I, I had a little thing to say about this scene. Yeah, go ahead, okay. please. So, um, and you might have noticed this as well. So after the white light part, um, which we actually get two bright light, bright white, white out parts in this episode. Um, after this one in particular, when we get the both of them free from the confines of the first one, we have Light Hope saying thank you to Adora and yes. free. Yes, and then she dissolves away and there's another brief moment where Adora is just sitting in this dark, empty space with the shattered sword. And that is the end end of the scene. Yes. So we zoom out on this on this shot of very small, very small Adora in this all black room staring at the broken sword because and she's small Shira is gone alone and it is a vulnerability thing i completely agree and also she doesn't have her awesome hair it's also it's just it's about her vulnerability as you'd mentioned but also her long hair in a ponytail is like uh, you know her long hair and big poofy hair is also very a Shira thing too so because it's kind yeah. of dull and down yeah she is as de-sheared as she could possibly she's be. as de-sheared as you can be and when her hair is up in a ponytail it's also very much about adora's control yes and she is anything that she has just as we see katra has lost all of her control just as we see glimmer has lost all of her control and they are all on the ground yeah in their their scenes with nothing else she is on the ground without her control and her control yeah, is yeah. her her hair tight with her pompadour very which are very controlled hair like that's true 
that I a agree. pompadour is not easy to to maintain. So. I believe you. I believe yeah. I would never have a hairstyle that required that kind of maintenance. So Meth, I have so prepared Jenny. a very exciting Professor Smartbrain moment for this moment. I'm very excited. Post sword shattering. <gasps> we are going to discuss Audrey Lord. I'm very excited. And her iconic 1979 speech paper conference speech. The master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. Love this. And I am as excited for this as you were about discussing Judith Butler. Yeah. This is this been is a classic. long time coming. Yeah, this is classic feminism. Yes. Classic so, queer feminism. An iconic queer black feminism. Yes, absolutely. Audre Lord is one of our most beloved queer elders. She was taken from us too soon. Mm-hmm. So before we talk about this particular short piece, I'm just going to talk about Audre Lord in general because she deserves a robust bio. Absolutely. Let's do it. So who's Audre Lord? Audre Lord, Lord was a black American lesbian writer, mostly known as a poet, but she was also a professor, a philosopher, an activist, intersectional feminist. She, you know, wore many hats. Um, She was most often self-described as a black lesbian mother warrior poet. That is how she described herself. Um, And I'm going to read mostly from her bio on the Poetry Foundation's website, because I feel like it is written with love a lot more than a lot of the other bios were that are just like here's some facts Mm -hmm. um so this is not my words these are the poetry foundation's words audrey lord dedicated both her life and her creative talent to confronting and addressing injustices of racism sexism classism and homophobia born in new york city to caribbean immigrant parents on february 18th 1934 and she died of breast cancer on november 17th 1992 at the age of 58 taken from us much too soon so that was that was just my little mini blurb. So the rest of this is from the Poetry Foundation. Of her poetic beginnings, Lord commented in Black Women Writers, I used to speak in poetry. I would read poems and I would memorize them. People would say, well, what do you think, Audrey? What happened to you today? And I would recite a poem and somewhere in that poem would be a line or a feeling I would be sharing. In other words, I literally communicated through poetry. And when I couldn't find the poems to express the things I was feeling, that's what started me writing poetry when I was 12 or 13. Lord earned her BA from Hunter College, just like my grandma, and MLS. MLS is a degree in library science from Columbia University. She was a librarian in the New York public schools through the 1960s. She had two children with her husband, Edwin Rollins, a white gay man, before they divorced in 1970. In 1972, Lord met her longtime partner, Frances Clayton. She also began teaching as poet in residence at Tougaloo College. Her experiences with teaching and pedagogy, as well as her place as a Black queer woman in white academia, went on to inform her life and work. Indeed, Lord's contributions to feminist theory, critical race studies, and queer theory intertwine her personal experiences with broader political aims. Lord articulated early on the intersections of race, class, and gender in canonical essays such as The Master's Tools Will Never Dismantle the Master's House. Lord's early collections of poetry include The First Cities, 1968, Cables to Rage, 1970, and From a Land Where Other People Live, 1972, which was nominated for a National Book Award. Later works, including New York Headshop and Museum, 1974, Cole, 1976, and The Black Unicorn, 1978, included powerful poems of protest. 
I have a duty, Lord once stated, to speak the truth as I see it and share not just my triumphs, not just the things that felt good, but the pain, the intense, often unmitigating pain. Lord's later poems were often assembled from personal journals. Explaining the genesis of Power, a poem about the police shooting of a 10-year-old Black child, Lord discussed the feelings when she learned that the officer involved had been acquitted. A kind of fury rose up in me. The sky turned red. I felt so sick. I felt as if I would drive this car into a wall, into the next person I saw. So I pulled over. I took out my journal just to air some of my fury, to get it out of my fingertips. Those expressed feelings are that poem. Her poetry, and indeed all of her writing, according to contributor Joan Martin in Black Women Writers, 1950-1980, A Critical Evaluation, rings with passion, sincerity, perception, and depth of feeling. Concerned with modern society's tendency to categorize groups of people, Lord fought the marginalization of such categories as lesbian and Black woman. She was central to many liberation movements and activist circles, including second-wave feminism, civil rights, and Black cultural movements, and struggles for LGBTQ equality. In particular, Lord's poetry is known for the power of its call for social and racial justice, as well as its depictions of queer experience and sexuality. As she told interviewer Charles H. Rowell in Callaloo, My sexuality is part and parcel of who I am, and my poetry comes from the intersection of me and my worlds. Jesse Helms' objection to my work, Jesse Helms was a white arch-conservative senator of the 70s, 80s, and 90s. He was the worst. He was the worst. He was the worst. (laughs) His objection to my work is not about obscenity or even about sex. It is about revolution and change. Lord was a noted prose writer as well as a poet. Her account of her struggle to overcome breast cancer and mastectomy, The Cancer Journals, 1980, is regarded as a major work of illness narrative. In the Cancer Journals, Lord confronts the possibility of death. Recounting this personal transformation led Lord to address the silence surrounding cancer, illness, and the lived experience of women. For example, Lord explained her decision not to wear a prosthesis after undergoing a mastectomy in the journals. Prosthesis offers the empty comfort of nobody will know the difference. But it is that very difference which I wish to affirm, because I have lived it and survived it, and wish to share that strength with other women. If we are to translate the silence surrounding breast cancer into language and action against this scourge, then the first step is that women with mastectomies must become visible to each other. Lord's 1982 novel, Zami, A New Spelling of My Name, was described by its publishers as a biomythography, combining elements of history, biography, and myth. Sister Outsider, Essays and Speeches, 1984, collected Lord's nonfiction prose and has become a canonical text in Black Studies, Women's Studies, and Queer Theory. Another collection of essays, A Burst of Light, 1988, won the National Book Award. The collected poems of Audre Lorde was published in 1997. In 1981, Lord and fellow writers Sheree Moraga and Barbara Smith founded Kitchen Table, Women of Color Press, which was dedicated to furthering the writings of Black feminists. Lord would also become increasingly concerned over the plight of Black women in South Africa under apartheid, creating sisterhood in support of sisters in South Africa, and remaining an active voice on behalf of these women throughout the remainder of her life. Lord addressed her concerns not only to the United States, but the world, encouraging a celebration of the differences that society used as tools of isolation. 
As Alison Kimmich noted in Feminist Writers, throughout all of Audre Lorde's writing, both nonfiction and fiction, a single theme surfaces repeatedly. The Black lesbian feminist poet activist reminds her readers that they ignore differences among people at their peril. Instead, Lord suggests, differences in race or class must serve as a reason for celebration and growth. Lord's honors and awards included a fellowship from the National Endowment for the Arts. A professor of English at John Jay College and Hunter College, Lord was Poet Laureate of New York from 1991 to 1992. Warrior Poet, 2006, by Alexis DeVoe is the first full-length biography of Audre Lorde. There is also the Audre Lorde Pro Project, a queer BIPOC social justice org, and the Kellen Lord LGBTQ Community Health Center, both in New York City. Um, those are just places that I know of in New York City that are named after her. So that is the bio of Audre Lorde. Yeah. That also, is one bio of Audre Lorde. Yes. Uh, Sister Outsider and uh, Zamia New Spelling of My Name are fantastic Books. Yes, they are. I mean, They're they are fantastic. Incredible. Every, yes. Um, Black Unicorn, all yeah, of her, so all of her works are fantastic. Um, I, I, I cannot recommend highly enough that you pick up anything that she has written. Absolutely. Um, so now that we've established who Audre Lorde is, let's talk about this essay. Yes. Um, it's very short and I'm going to give a link to the full, it's three pages long. Um, I'm going to give a link to the full essay in the show notes. Um, so these are remarks given by Audre Lorde at a conference in 1979 commemorating the 30th anniversary of Simone de Beauvoir's book, The Second Sex, oh. um, where Audre Lorde was invited to be a speaker at the one panel at this conference with a black or lesbian feminist perspective <laughs> entitled The Personal and the Political, i.e. like this was their diversity panel at their feminist conference. Uh-huh. You know, it was 1979. So she was addressing that. <laughs> um, and so when you read this essay, please do note that some of the language is going to come off as dated. Um, for example, she only refers to all queer people. She only refers to lesbians. So, you know, if she were to write this essay today, I'm sure she would write more queer inclusive language. Um, and she refers to the third world, which is not language that we use today. She would probably talk about the global majority. You know, people today often say developing nations, but that's still pretty judgy and hierarchical. So, yeah, you know, yeah. she, she might say the global majority. She might say queer people, but she talks about specifically lesbians and the third world. That is the language that was available in 1979. Um, so I'm it's very short. It's very self-explanatory. It is not dense. So I'm just going to read a few short highlights because it doesn't even require analysis. It's very self-explanatory. So I'm just going to read a, a few short quotes. These are not all synchronous. They're just excerpted. Quote number one. What does it mean when the tools of a racist patriarchy are used to examine the fruits of that same patriarchy? It means that only the most narrow parameters of change are possible and allowable. Very applicable still. Yup. Uh, number two, as women, we have been taught either to ignore our differences or to view them as causes for separation and suspicion, rather than as forces for change. Without community, there is no liberation, only the most vulnerable and temporary armistice between an individual and her oppressor. But community must not mean a shedding of our differences, nor the pathetic pretenses that these differences do not exist. Number three. Those of us who stand outside the circle of this society's definition of acceptable women, those of us who have been forged in the crucibles of difference, those of us who are poor, who are lesbians, who are black, who are older, 
know that survival is not an academic skill. It is learning how to take our differences and make them strengths. For the master's tools will never dismantle the master's house. They may allow us temporarily to beat him at his own game, but they will never enable us to bring about genuine change. And this fact is only threatening to those women who still define the master's house as their only source of support. Hmm. That's pretty central. Two more. Number four, if white American feminist theory need not deal with the differences between us and the resulting difference in our oppressions, then how do you deal with the fact that the women who clean your houses and tend to your children while you attend conferences on feminist theory are, for the most part, poor women and women of color? What is the theory behind racist feminism? And finally, number five, women of today are still being called upon to stretch across the gap of male ignorance and to educate men as to our existence and our needs. This is an old and primary tool of all oppressors to keep the oppressed occupied with the master's concerns. Now we hear that it is the task of women of color to educate white women in the face of tremendous resistance as to our existence, our differences, our relative roles in our joint survival. This is a diversion of energies and a tragic repetition of racist patriarchal thought. So, so nothing has changed. That's some important <laughs> shit. And to close, <laughs> to close this beautiful moment of Audre Lorde, I would like to read you one of my favorite Audre Lorde poems. Um, it's short. It's not necessarily her most powerful because I don't want to cry and blubber. Um, yes, fair. But it is, it is uplifting. And it's probably one of my favorites because a girl I liked in high school gave it to me in a locker note. Yeah. Back before we all had cell phones, we actually wrote notes on paper and put them in each other's lockers. Yeah. So this is an uplifting poem called For Each of You. Be who you are and will be. Learn to cherish that boisterous black angel that drives you up one day and down another. Protecting the place where your power rises, running like hot blood from the same source as your pain. When you are hungry, learn to eat whatever sustains you until morning, but do not be misled by details simply because you live them. Do not let your head deny your hands any memory of what passes through them, nor your eyes, nor your heart. Everything can be used except what is wasteful. You will need to remember this when you are accused of destruction. Even when they are dangerous, examine the heart of those machines you hate before you discard them, and never mourn their lack of power, lest you be condemned to relive them. If you do not learn to hate, you will never be lonely enough to love easily, nor will you always be brave, although it does not grow any easier. Do not pretend to convenient beliefs, even when they are righteous. You will never be able to defend your city while shouting. Remember whatever pain you bring back from your dreaming, but do not look for new gods in the sea, nor in any part of a rainbow. Each time you love, love as deeply as if it were forever, only nothing is eternal. Speak to your children wherever you may find them. Tell them you are the offspring of slaves and your mother was a princess in darkness. So there you have it. Yes. Audrey Lord. Audrey motherfucking Lord. Of blessed memory. Of blessed memory. Yes. Fantastic. Everybody read more Audrey. Everyone needs to read more Audrey Lord just in general, yeah. but such an important queer elder. 
Yes. So the sword hath been shattered. The sword hath been shattered. Adora and shall is we all go alone. back to the fright zone? Let's go back to the fright zone. Well, Glimmer wakes up just in time to see Hordak having dragged himself out of the wreckage. And oh. now he well, is standing over her, getting ready to club her over the head. And things look very grim. Well, he's alive. So now we know that. Things are not looking good for Glimmer in this moment where Hordak is standing over her with a club. And he's looking very excited. He's like, I'm going to crush you. <laughs> like, Shut up, Hordak. But then an arrow hits him. Yay, arrowed. And it's Bo. Now it's Bo. Glimmer sees Bo. Bo sees Glimmer. He's going to save her. He's going to save her, right? Yes. And he yeah. yells, stay there. I'm coming. And then then he shoots he shoots his, his slidey down arrow with his wire. And he slides down. He And he starts to slide down. And what's that? Something starts to happen. Something starts to happen. What is that? Some glowy green energy. They're getting beamed up. They're getting beamed up to space. Who is and and Hordak's all stoked and they're they're he's getting, got that smile that like oh my big brother is gonna beat you up kind yep. of smile and then they all get raptured yes and, and Hordak says Horde Prime he's here and yes. Glimmer and and Hordak as far as we know it's as far just as Glimmer, we know it's just those two those two get raptured yes yes and both. Again, almost gets there in time, just like almost. just like they almost got back in time in the before. They almost got back to Bright Moon in time to for Micah and Glimmer to see each other, but just not quite. Just and it's the same thing here. Time. He Bo almost gets there in time, and he falls to his knees. Yeah, and he looks up to see this the space invasion and filling the sky. Yep. And these and the ships look like spikes. And yes, they're flying through the air, and there's yes, e- they're everywhere. It's like and now we have another montage. It's like the third montage. First, we had everyone getting their glow up, and then we had mm-hmm. everyone getting like hit with scary magic from the heart of Etheria, and now mm-hmm. we have everyone reacting to the space invasion. Yep, and so everyone's looking up, and they're seeing. Scorpio, Frost, and Perfume are looking up and they're like, whoa, this is bad. And then Adora is like, kind of like staring into like middle distance and sees them. And And then we have the second fade to white. And then we have this fade to white with this very high pitch noise. Mm -hmm. And Mm -hmm. we fade into white and then we fade back out onto Glimmer, who's coming to. She's waking up on the mothership. She's waking up on the mothership and she has no magic. Right. Her magic doesn't work here. And she's in this weird, enormous room. She's like on this little plank, but it's like surrounded by this vast amount of empty space. Yeah. And I feel like we can save the big kind of deep dive into a lot of the stuff in this room. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. We don't have to get the into next that season, now. But it is cavernous. It's very it's what happens if you built a cathedral in the Star Wars universe. Yeah, um, it's like a, it's like the Death Star's cathedral. Yes, that's very well put. Um, um, and, and as she gets up, we also see that Hordak is here. Yep. And then they're both s- a little discombobulated. And then we hear this like velvet smooth voice from the biggest, whitest dude with dreadlocks you will ever see. And mm-hmm. we hear him. And it is. Is that you, little brother? I thought you had perished. And then we have mm-hmm. the evilest motherfucker in the universe has arrived mm-hmm. and we are all fucked. Yep. Yep. So he's sitting on his throne slash captain's chair. Yep. And he's flanked by two. 
identical albino hordax on either side yep and they his clones his clones they all have the horde the horde insignia on them they all have kind of capey things they're all white you know right and i do want to point out something that our friend head sorceress sean has pointed out which is that even though they are portrayed in white the actor who actually voices Hordak, Horde Prime, and Wrong Hordak is black. Yes. So it's it's problematic and complicated whether we code him as white or black. Because we coded him as white, but Sean said that she coded him as black because of his voice. Interesting. So it's up for interpretation, and either way, it is, it is problematic to have a white villain voiced by a black actor, and it it's complicated. I mean, ascribing American social understandings of white to this may not be the interpretation that we need. He is literally the color white. Yeah, I mean, he looks so, white. So like that- I, I interpret him is as where, white. Yes. So, like, But I'm just saying, I feel yes. it's important to let, you know, our, our black friend who we brought on to give their perspective- Absolutely. To share, to share that perspective. Absolutely. Yes. 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 So um, we definitely talk, so we definitely hear Hordak let Horde Prime know where he's been all this time. Yes, so now we see how Hordak acts in the presence of Big Brother. Yes. He is in full supplication. Yes. And he lets him know that he was pulled into a shadow dimension, but he's been he's been trying real hard to return to All to, this time I have been trying time. to return to your side. He's but it has not been in vain. He built this empire. In uh, your name. In your name, of course. And he's on his knees yes. this whole time. Yes. Yes. Um, and Prime is just like an uh-huh. exercise in cool indifference. And he's like, uh-huh. Cool. I got, uh, listen, I got your phone call. I wasn't around, but I, then I saw this really big kaboom. Mm-hmm. And then when I showed up, this curious planet had appeared. With an energy reading like nothing I had ever seen before. How about that? Mm. Interesting. And then Hordak. Super. Before we go back to Hordak, there's one really quick shot that's important. Because as Prime is discussing Etheria's incredible energy signature, the camera goes back to Glimmer's face. And we Mm. see it clicking in her mind. Yes. She is utterly horrified. She realizes that this is on her. She made it possible for this new ultimate horrifying uber villain to get to them and now this threat is beyond anything that she had even conceived of and it's on her like yes it's all in her face in that moment yes makes sense yeah so yeah continue this is glimmer being like oh i fucked up right yeah 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 but then we have some hordak fucking up too because yes. hordak is like you know says that he conquered the world uh for you and then he starts to show that maybe he's done things maybe not entirely for Horde Prime right, because right. he did it to show that he was worthy so that he might take his place by your side. He mm-hmm. has bent to the people to his will. So these mm-hmm. are all like every single thing he said was basically like, these are my motivations for me to do things for me. Well, he's trying to frame it that I did this to show you that I'm worthy of being by your side. It's all for you. It's all for you. It's all for you. But then the final line is I have bent its people to my will, to my will. Right. That's the final thing where Hordak was, where Horde Prime was like, "Uh uh-uh, no. Okay. I can forgive the other things, even though like 
in the context of everything it is like oh you did all of these things okay but that last one he can be like oh no to your will you know why can't yes. i see your thoughts y- you have a name you created your yes. own empire yes and he's holding hordak's face in that creepy shadow weaver way as yeah, he everybody is like loves this fucking whore this like tender like face hole who yeah. was the person like in the beginning where it's like, you know, any single time, every single time somebody is like really evil and intimate, we're going to have some face holding. Yeah. yeah, I don't Like know. that's a thing. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And so Horde Prime, you know, it's like you're not allowed to have private thoughts from him. No. Um, no. He says, you know, you gave yourself a name. You tried to create an empire of your own. There was even a time you wished I would not come for you. Is that so? Mm-hmm. And Hordak is like, no, no, brother. I did it all of it for you. Yeah, you can't do that with the Horde. And then Horde Prime has just been totally chill and very reserved up till this moment has this flat affect of indifference and Mm -hmm. coolness. And in this moment, he just switches on a dime. Yep. And his entire affect changes to just complete fury. And he grabs Hordak by his face and holds him up off the ground, like by his face. Yeah. And he says, you have forgotten who you are. You think you are worthy to stand beside me? Could be equal to me? I made you in my image, but you have become an abomination. And so you must be reborn. And so now like his his fake like dreadlocks come out of their little plugs and you see they have like these big fat needles on the end mm-hmm. and they plug into Hordak into his open body ports and he starts screaming and you know it's very very violent yeah it's gross you know all the col- all the colors around him are changing it's like an electrocution um and then very suddenly it all stops and Hordak becomes like a rag doll yeah totally expressionless and prime just drops him and he falls to the floor yeah, he like shuts him down. He like literally shuts him down. Like he yeah. turns him off. <laughs> yeah, it's like he rebooted him. He rebooted and now he, him. Now yeah. he is he's a wiped hard drive. Right. Yeah. And this And is Glimmer ca- is still on her hands and knees observing this from just a few feet away. Uh-huh. Having yep. not been acknowledged by anyone. Yep. And then, you know, so he says, You must you're an abomination, and so you must be reborn. And then okay, right. so now we're getting the idea that like, okay, Horde Prime is a different kind of villain. Yeah. He's a different kind of bad guy. This is a whole a whole nother level, so yeah. to speak. Yeah, yeah. Um and, and so then Prime calmly puts his murder dreads away yep. and tells the other clones, take him to be reconditioned. Just like, yep. oh, you know, take out the trash, boys. Yep. Yep. And turns and sees Glimmer. Mm-hmm. But I have been rude. We mm-hmm. have a guest. Royalty, unless I'm mistaken. Mm-hmm. I apologize for my little brother. His actions are an embarrassment. I desire only peace and order. Yeah, so we get a new kind of evil here. Like, Hordak was kind of the, like, Hordak. But Horde Prime, that was my Hordak compression. <laughs> I, I like it. Uh, yeah, but Horde Prime, he's he's clean and orderly and polite and well-spoken and cold. He yes. is, you know, he And is... his whole peace and order thing is like Thanos. Yeah, it's it's exactly it's the it's it's like a Thanos type of like I will have peace and order and things will be cleansed like yes and like how will purified. I achieve peace and order I'm just gonna murder everybody yeah it'll be very peaceful when there's no more people to fight 
Yeah, Glimmer, you know, he, he says, I love peace and order. And Glimmer's like, cool, so we're good. And he's like, no, I'm going to murder you all. That's how I'm going to have peace. And Catra comes out. And we're like, wait, Catra, where did you come from, dude? Yes, I wouldn't do that if I were you. And it's like, oh, Catra, you have you you have life again. Yes, Catra's. Um, and I I my next bullet is Catra, save Glimmer, Catra, save Glimmer, Catra, save Glimmer. This is yeah. the beginning, the beginning of of a new relationship and yeah. a new direction. And also the planet and also her own ass. Yes, like in the beginning, she can tell herself that it's self-interest, but we know that it's a lot more than that. Oh, and she's so smart. I love how she does this. Yes. She's like, you don't want to kill Glimmer. You don't want to destroy Etheria. This is like some ancient super weapon. Yes. She's a part of it, and I know how to use it. Right. Is, you you oh. can't kill her because she's part of the weapon, and you yeah. can't kill me because I'm the only one who can tell you how to use it. Mm-hmm. And so Prime is interested in this. Prime is interested, and he says, oh, well, that's good. Then I won't kill you. You can hang around. Your planet will be the jewel of my empire mm. and will allow me to bring peace and order to the farthest reaches of the universe. Right. And then this last line, I actually have a little bit of a Professor Smartbrain moment. Type sure, to it, sure. Where it says, thank you for your allegiance, child. All creatures, no matter how small, have a place in service of Horde Prime. So... This kind of starts to kick off in the beginning. Like we kind of get that vibe from the beginning with the purification and all that stuff. But this mm -hmm. really is like a big telegraph that this moment kicks off that Hort Prime and his whole thing is an allegory for toxic Christianity. Mm. So this mini smart brain moment, all creatures, no matter how small, is one of our first tastes of that. It comes the all creatures, no matter how small. It is an allusion to the Christian hymn, All Things Bright and Beautiful. Oh, I'm not familiar with that. Which is based on an English translation of Psalm 104, lines 24 and 25. So the particular line in this hymn is, All things bright and beautiful, all creatures great and small, all things wise and wonderful, the Lord God made them all. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So they all have all of these things have a place in the kingdom of Horde Prime. Mm. Creepy. Creepy. So creepy. So after That's, we get that. That was very smart detectiving. Thank you. That went right by me. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. So after he says that, Catra and Glimmer share a sideways glance uh -huh. of two people who know that they're in way over their heads. Yup. Yeah, and they, they have, have nothing left but each other. Yup, they're like, well, fuck. Yes, and then we have... It's yes. that look where you're like, you're with someone that you don't really like. Like, you're on like a cruise. Yeah. I've never been this... Like, you're in like a situation where you're on like a cruise or... Not you're trapped somewhere. Yeah, trapped I mean, I've somewhere. never been on a cruise either, but I can imagine but you, it. Okay, so like, let's say you're like trapped somewhere, like you're on a cruise or something, and you're surrounded by a bunch of people that like you don't really know, but then you run into somebody that you knew in high school that you don't really like, and you're the only two people that know each other, and even yeah. though you don't really like each other, you're kind of like, well, we're kind of the only two people we have, so do you want to yeah. like, hang out, like play shuffleboard or something? Only this is on a galactic level. Yeah, I mean, this is a pretty high stakes situation. I was thinking more like you're 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 trapped in a really bad situation, and with with someone who you would not have picked. But it's like, listen, we're both fucked. We will have better odds of not being fucked if we team up. 
Well, sure. I mean, I yeah. bring up shuffleboard and you bring up, you know, like apocalypse. That's usually <laughs> so. <laughs> so after they have that moment, we have one zoom out shot zooming out of the mothership to see this entire scary galactic horde space fleet in space to see how huge and great and terrible their numbers are. It's not great. And then we go down from the sky to Ether- back to the surface of Etheria, where we see Adora standing alone, looking up at the sky, looking very forlorn, still without her ponytail. Yeah. You know, still as, as you said, as, as without control as she could be. Mm-hmm. Bo finds her, they hug. He tells her they took Glimmer. She tells him Shira is gone and the sword is broken. And then they just have one line left each. He yep. says, what are we going to do? She says, we're going to get Glimmer back and then we're going to save the universe. Like, damn right you are. Yeah. So like this, the level of how much they have to save has gone up. First, they were just trying to save their kingdoms. Then they had to save the whole world. Uh Now they have to save the whole goddamn motherfucking universe. Which like, sure, do it. You know? Yeah. But how? We guess they'll figure that out. They're yeah. going to win in the end, right? Yeah, yeah. We have time to figure it out now because we have a season break. We have a season break. So, Jenny. So, Meth. What did we learn today? We learned it's never too late to change your mind. Glimmer has shown us. No matter how sure you are that you're right, if you realize that things are not what you thought they were, it is never too late to reevaluate your position. It's never too late to do the right thing. Yeah. It's never too late to fight for what's right. It's never too late. Yeah. No matter like how that. scary and terrifying things are, no matter how bad you feel, no matter whether you think you might have done something wrong, you might have been confused before, whatever the situation is, it is never too late to fight for what's right. I like that. I'm glad. All right. Well, folks, if you liked what you heard and you want to help us save the universe, you can like and follow us on Apple Podcasts spotify google podcast or wherever you get your podcast fix you can also find us on twitter instagram tiktok and facebook at heyadoracast or you can email us your plans to get glimmer back at heyadoracast at gmail.com and i've heard and this is a rumor that we have a patreon rumor confirmed my friend and i think that if people join our patreon they get to do rad stuff They sure do. In fact, they get to do rad stuff like hang out with us on our Discord and get exclusive playlists and live watches. Uh, When you're hearing this, you just missed our annual live watch of the He-Man and She-Ra Christmas special. Or you just joined us for it. Wasn't it fun? It was awesome. I loved it. It was fantastic. It's a ridiculously merry time. It's a merry time. It teaches Jenny and I this true meaning of Christmas, which as far as I can tell is beating Skeletor. Absolutely. What could be more Christmassy than that? I mean, I love Skeletor. So (laughs) I love how silly he is. I love how silly Skeletor is. But if you want to join us in any of these fun things, any of these other live events that come up with us on our on our discord, anything new, meet some other fun rebel peeps, meet some other fun rebels. We have all sorts of fun stuff planned for season five. You can't even imagine. Oh, my God. Um, You can. The time has never been more ripe. The time has never been more ripe. So you can find a link to our Patreon as well as a link to the double episode playlist. It's extra long and extra epic for Destiny in our show notes or at heyadora.gay. 
We will never let you down, kids. You can always find all of our shit at HeyAdoraDake. You absolutely can. And just to let you all know, we are going to be taking a break between now and season five to get everything in a row because I don't know about you, but Jenny and I have been looking forward to doing season five since we started this podcast in 2020. Indeed. Our whole lives. Ever since we were babies has been leading leading up to this. And season five is going to be, and I don't think I'm overselling this, Jenny. It's going to be banger after banger after banger. You could not possibly oversell it if you tried. We are going to have special guests. My dude, my dude and gayness. And gayness. We're going to have special episodes. We're going to have special guests. I'm going to- We're going to have the gay coming out of our eyes and ears and mouth. I'm going to gay scream a lot. I'm going to have to move the microphone really far away for how gay scream yes, I am. Yes, so yes. we're going to take a break for a little bit, get our gayness together. But when you hear it, you'll know. And we'll, of course, keep in touch and let everybody know when we're going to start season five. And we are so, so, so hype for everybody to join us for that. Yes, 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 yes. We are excited for all of you. So remember, until then, Queer Joy is Radical. And queer love saves the universe. Oh yeah, destiny.